What we've got here is failure to communicate. Thank you for listening. I'm Bob. And I'm Bruce. And we're failing to communicate. And this is episode 264 of the podcast where we talk about movies, TV, video games, and mixed martial arts. And this week, we have a very special guest, friend of the show from the James Bond complex, Edgar Chaput. Nice to have you back. Good evening, gentlemen. It's always a great pleasure and honor to be on the show, regardless of what its name is. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is your first time on since we rebranded. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, it's very special. It's a, it's another league. Mm, league yeah. of its own. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> we're happy to have you here. Um and yeah, that's another thing that's different since the last time you came on. You started your own podcast. I have. I have. As you were kind enough to mention, it is called the James Bond Complex. I host it with another fellow Montrealer by the name of Matthew Eau Claire. And we're big Bond fans. We release episodes uh, once a week on Wednesdays. They, they drop on Wednesdays. You can download it through iTunes. And essentially... One episode, we will review uh, a book, a novel, the original Ian Fleming novels. The next week, we review the film adaptation. So we're going in the order of uh, the years the books were released. So for big fans of the movies, we are going through them, but not in the order most fans would watch them. They're kind of herky-jerky because we're going in the order of the books. And then we usually record a third episode on, on whenever we meet up, and it's I know next week we're releasing a comic book episode. Oh, nice. uh, we have a special one in a few weeks down the line about how we would expand the franchise. Um, and it's once a week, about an hour, an hour and change. We try to keep it nice, uh, nice and tight. And it's been a lot of fun, a lot of work, a lot of work. I did not really understand what editing a podcast is until I've I've done I've done about three or four of them at this point. I think, or, or I have maybe I have a fourth one to do, and. Uh, Shit, <laughs> it's work. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I, I was gonna say I checked out the about the first half or so of the first episode, and what I first noticed was how good the editing was. I thought it was awesome. I believe the first one with Matt was Matt. So, uh, what's the first one? Yeah, you should check out the Casino Royale movie episode. You might be less impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I still don't know what editing's like, so. Good on you for, you know, yeah, doing just it. shoot them in the hip around here. <laughs> I might well, make a couple cuts good. here and there, but and that's good, you know. Sometimes, well, yeah, but then again, you guys uh, having been on the show and having listened to the show countless times, I mean, man, your episodes last like a two-hour episode is like a, a brief one. <laughs> Nowadays, guys. it seems like yeah. You know, we we record. I don't know the longest one. I did. I did Moonraker the. Film a couple weeks ago, and the original MP3 was like an hour and a half. And when I was done, it's like an hour and twenty. Whatever okay. drops in, I think it's like it's still a few weeks away from from dropping. It'll be about an hour and twenty, but you get rid of the 
you get rid of the you get rid of the there's a lot and you're really going by second by half right. seconds tenths of seconds so it's 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 for you got to be diligent you have to be ruthless but at the end of the day the end result does tend to be pretty solid yeah that's yeah. awesome you keep it tight we've been around the block we keep it loose <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we have to prove we have to earn our spurs so we're editing like uh, like crazy people <laughs> absolutely no it seems like uh there's a lot of james bond podcasts out there so this seems like a pretty interesting um you know way to go about it to differentiate differentiate yourselves yeah not a lot of podcasts and and there are many many good ones i i subscribe to a fair few of them but i don't know of any for whom like the launching pad, the springboard are the books, the original source material. So we figured we'd um, distinguish ourselves in that way. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, and uh, I'm slowly working my way into becoming a uh, Bond completionist. I'm uh, As we'll get to later on when we do our uh, James Bond appetizer or a round table or, you know, just... Four movies, we'll go around the horn, talk about them. It's kind of my introduction to the Bond franchise in honor of your new podcast since, you know, the only Bond movies I'd seen were the Daniel Craig ones. This is a great night. <laughs> yeah, so we'll have some fun with that. But we're also going to review the biggest movie probably of 2018 when all is said and done, Marvel's Black Panther, which is taking the world by storm. And uh, we're also going to re recap the fall box office draft, which Edgar always participates with, and Casey always wins, despite never showing up to uh, claim his prize. <laughs> but, uh, but first, we're going to talk about the Oscars. They were this past weekend, Sunday night, on ABC, with Jimmy Kimmel hosting. Um, <laughs> it's not like we can do a, a complete recap, because... I missed the final 45 minutes of the show when my DVR recording cut off and I missed like the biggest five prizes of the night awards. The Brooks, only reason to watch, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, Brooks, <laughs> you, you came in late, right? So you saw like the last hour. Yeah. yeah. And Edgar? Uh, I was probably eating tofu pad thai or something. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> you were uh, you were the real winner in all this. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I feel like it having not. Uh, I shouldn't say suffer because I know a lot of people like that show, that ceremony, and I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who are you know astute film fans and they like that as well. So good on them, but it's just not for me. I just don't care about it at all. But you know, there were winners, there were losers, and I've actually seen a fair few of the movies, so I don't mind talking about it a little bit. Yeah, I figure we just go over some of the winners and who they beat out and whether they deserved it, whatnot. But I have to say, this this was one of the more boring ceremonies in a long time. I mean, at least last year, you had you had some storylines going on. You had that crazy ending where they announced the wrong winner and had to correct that. It was Bedlam. Was amazing but um yeah this one was a real snooze fest really the only reason to watch was to see who was actually going to win and maybe a couple good speeches here or there i feel like i feel like i think i love the oscars but every year i'm disappointed i think i think what happened is when i was a kid you know the ma the majesty of it all and and not having all these spoilers out there where you knew everything that was going to happen 
beforehand for the most part. It just it's way more exciting. Now it's like there's so many prognosticators where they can tell you 23 of the 27 winners before it even starts, and it's not quite the same. Yeah, I feel like every few years there's uh, a good moment, like DiCaprio winning his first Oscar. That was cool. Um, but like you said, it's pretty it's pretty uh, bland. Yeah, absolutely. But I was I was wondering how do they how do those conversations start where you start reading and hearing things about oh well you know looks like the shape of water is going to win it looks like that movie's pulling ahead like who's who knows this how does this get out I never understood that I feel like there's like a certain criteria that the Academy sticks to and like Bob was saying earlier it's it's always a safe uh, a safe option and. Uh, they don't stray too far very often from the normal status quo. You know, what I think it is, and I, I don't know for sure, but the Oscars is like, just say there's 50 different award shows from all these different bodies. Like the directors have their own awards, the actors have their own awards, the critics, BAFTA, the British uh, Association, and the Oscars is the last one. It's like the Super Bowl. And all these mm. other award shows leading up to it. And I feel like everyone that's voting in the Directors Guild Awards has a vote in the Oscars. Everyone that's voting in the, the SAG Screen Actors Guild Awards has a vote for the Oscars. So I guess by the time all of those ceremonies give out their awards, it's pretty, you know, you just follow the trend, see who's mm. winning, where these other people who are going to be voting on the Oscars are going. And that's kind of where it leads to. Interesting. So there's, there's something quite anticlimactic about the Oscar ceremony. If, if that if that holds true, predominantly, yeah. I, it would seem as though the there's no more tension. There's no surprise anymore when you watch the ceremony. Exactly. So pretty much, you're just hoping for some some you know crazy unpredictable winner to come out of nowhere. I mean, I kind of appreciate the statistics aspect of it as someone who you know. Uh, keeps their own stats for the Baltimore Orioles after every single game you know, on a spreadsheet. I kind of appreciate the way that people can do that sort of thing, but it, it really does take some of the, the just uh, the power out of it. Mm. Yeah, but let's talk about these winners. The big winner of the night, which if you would have told me six months ago that a movie directed by Guillermo del Toro about a mute woman who falls in love and has sex with a fish monster is going to win Best Picture. I would have said, uh, yeah, you're probably right. It's The Shape of Water, and it's, uh it was one of Brooks' favorite movies, so I'm sure you are thrilled to see this. Yeah, definitely. Um, Oozing in Oscar glory. Yeah, right. <laughs> Although, was Michael Shannon there? I feel like I didn't see him. I don't think he was there, yeah, which is kind of weird, but, you know. Yeah. Maybe a shoot. But yeah, I was stoked that they won, that it won, um, and of course, uh, Guillermo won Best Director also. So spoiler. Alert. I don't know if it's yeah spoiler. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite the sweep, but uh, it definitely were the big winner. Yeah, um, we reviewed this a couple weeks ago, so our thoughts are out there. Edgar, what did you think of The Shape of Water? I, I saw it at this point. It was a little while ago. Um, I, I'm a big Del Toro fan. I liked it. I can't really claim that I fell in love with it. There was something about its tone which sort of held me at arm's length. It, it was 
I know this is going to sound weird because your description of the film is pretty apt. It does get pretty R-rated at times. So, but nevertheless, I felt there was um, it, it tried to be a little cute at times. Sometimes yeah, with yeah. the Richard Jenkins character and uh, Sally Hawkins doing these little tap dance motions. That just doesn't register with me. I, I just, I really, really, really don't care for that stuff. But Sally Hawkins was really good. The monster looks cool. Mm-hmm. I do like some of the, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the main character is mute, uh, and she she falls in love with uh, with a beast, and they and they actually fornicate. You know, <laughs> uh, only Del Toro would actually push that in a mainstream film. Right. I, I feel, anyways. So you know, it was enjoyable, but I didn't, I didn't fall in love with it it wasn't my favorite movie of last year by by a long shot yeah i described it to someone who hadn't seen it as a fairy tale mixed with a b level like a b movie horror movie yeah yeah, yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah like it, the, the plot some of the plot points are so ridiculous it if you just read the wikipedia description you thought oh, this is like a 1950s b film but no it's <laughs> got a Really nice budget. It's from a world class director and has like some of the best actors working in the business. Yeah, absolutely. So if you didn't think Shape of Water should have won, uh, what would you have voted for for best picture? Ooh. Are you asking me or? Oh, no, Brooks. Yeah, Brooks. No, Brooks, you would have gone for the Shape of Water or? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Shape of Call Me by Your Name. Unfortunately, I haven't seen. It's pretty good. Hours. It's pretty good. Darkest Hours, a bore. It should be called Dunkirk, the boring version. (laughs) Okay. But I did see Dunkirk. I did see Get Out. I saw Phantom Thread. And I saw three billboards. What would I pick out of the ones I saw? I think it would be a battle between Dunkirk. I guess Dunkirk and three billboards. Mm -hmm. And almost for the bravura. For the insanity of how it was made and its quality, I probably would have given it to Dunkirk. Yeah, Dunkirk would have had my vote as well. Get Out would have been a great choice, I I think. And Phantom Thread I loved as well. We just reviewed that last week. Yeah, those, I, did. I listened three. to that one. You guys were really, really high on it. Again, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. That movie was like really well acted, well directed, but it felt as though... the. <laughs> The characters were really weird, and yeah. I, at, at some point, I just didn't really care. Not that I—I I shouldn't say I didn't care about them, because that shouldn't be the sole purpose of the film. But um, I felt like it was being a little too uh, quirky for its for its own good. But I did—I did like it. I, I didn't walk out of there saying, "Oh boy, that's the first PTA film I didn't like." I like it, but I didn't—I wasn't bowled over by it like a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely just... plenty of deserving movies, but uh, of course, like I said, it's Shape of Water, which was my vote, but Don Kirk, uh, Phantom Thread, uh, they would be deserving in my mind. Uh, like we said about Three Billboards, it was kind of messy plot-wise. Yeah, I wasn't. The, we weren't the biggest fans of Three Billboards. It has definitely has its, you know, uh, things worth, you know, recommending and worth rewarding as the, as they were later on but yeah i kind of thought that movie was a bit of a mess as much as i like that director's previous work yeah and i love get out and ladybird but um yeah ladybird that's quite the movies that win best picture right right 
Yeah, Lady Bird got shut out, which was kind of surprising because that is a really well-made movie with a lot of uh, good stuff going on. Yeah, sure. It was it was kind of interesting seeing Get Out get Get Out get nominated. I didn't think it, it was it was a huge huge movie, but I don't know why. Maybe because it is a horror movie. For some reason, I didn't think it would get nominated. So right. that was kind I of mean, interesting seeing it. It came out in February. You know, it's just yeah. a horror movie with some comedy elements. Like, yeah, it is. I I wish more movies would get nominated that were released throughout the year. So maybe that's a good sign moving forward. Maybe Black Panther, as we'll talk about, will be uh, nominated next year. You never know. There's never been a uh, There's never been a Marvel movie nominated for Best Picture. Has oh there? no, <laughs> not even close. But this could be the one. It has some some stuff behind it. I don't know. We'll see plenty of time to find out but let's talk about best actress which Frances McDormand for three billboards outside Ebbing Missouri was the winner she seemed like a slam dunk throughout the whole process she won over Sally Hawkins for Shape of Water Margaret Robbie for I Tanya Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird and Meryl Streep the one and only for The Post um <laughs> I think she deserved it. I think she gave a great performance in the movie, even if I didn't love it. Yeah, I agree. And uh, like I said in the past, it was kind of like typecasting for uh, the character yeah, that she played. Kind of was. Um, I, I thought she was the best thing about the movie. I, I liked the movie quite a bit overall. I thought she was the best thing about it, actually. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Uh, Sally Hawkins, I feel like pretty good performance as well. I think she really communicated all her, the emotions her character was feeling despite not being able to speak. So that was yeah, for uh, as pretty incredible good. movie as that was, it's gotta be extremely hard to play that lead character and not have hardly any lines in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, she, she was great at she, she was definitely one of the highlights of, of shape of water. I, I agree wholeheartedly. All right. Best actor, Gary Oldman for darkest hour. This is a case of, I think, I can't remember if we talked about it on this podcast or before we started, but just a guy who, you know, great career, probably could have won for some previous performances, and, oh, you're in a movie, a boring movie, that uh, you're wearing pounds and pounds of makeup and we can barely recognize you? It sounds like the, the perfect recipe for an Oscar win. <laughs> Historical drama, playing yeah. a big historical figure, right. big, like literally and figuratively, <laughs> a big historical figure. Like it's almost this, this screams slam dunk more so than Francis McDormand to me. Like Gary Oldman is like, of course he would win for something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was like similar to what Daniel Day Lewis has done in the past with the real big character. Uh, except, like method, uh, kind of except EDL is actually really good. Oh yeah, I mean, and don't get me wrong, Gary Oldman is—he's fine. He's good in the movie. He's always good, but I don't know. Just I—I would have given—I would have given anyone else in that was nominated to win over him this time. Anybody? Around. Wow. Okay. Even Denzel Washington in Roman J. Israel, which I didn't even see. I'd have gave him. <laughs> but it's Denzel. We know he can put on a good yeah. performance. He—he's probably good in that movie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Daniel Day Lewis for Phantom Thread was great. Timothy Chalamet for Calling Me by Your Name. And Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya, Kaluuya uh, for Get Out. I think that's an underrated performance. I wonder if yeah. Daniel Day Lewis is, is almost 
uh, too quiet in yeah. Phantom Thread. I wonder if that hurt his, ch- his, his chance. A fascinating character, and it's, it's as you say, DDL. Uh, <laughs> always a fascinating actor, but I, I, if we're just talking Oscar glory, he's almost, he's, he's, he's too subtle. He's too quiet. He's too reserved. Yeah, and I, I almost thought he would have a better chance since this was, you know, supposedly his last performance of his career. Mm. All right. So next up, best director, which Brooks spoiled, uh, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> <Yeah>, thanks, Brooks. <laughs> now we had to know <laughs> the shape of water. Um, he wins over Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Jordan Peele for Get Out, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, and Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. I actually, uh, I would have ranked Guillermo del Toro last in this category in my ballot, but. And I, I still think he did a great job, and it was a great movie. I just think this was a – they really nailed the nominees in this category this year. I would have gone Christopher Nolan because that had to be a hard sh- – to shoot that movie the way that they did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the atmosphere in Dunkirk is incredible. Um, but I, I, was, I was not uh, disappointed in seeing Guillermo. Uh, it was cool to see Jordan Peele get uh, – Another spoiler alert, original screenplay. Oh, so. my God. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah I, I didn't. I wasn't upset with it. Uh, yeah, it, it's a well-directed movie. Uh, again, you know, the, the director is – director has final say. Performance, look, cutting – music the director says yes this is good print this so and you know there's there's a, there are a few too many moments where the movie's a little too cute so maybe i wouldn't have given it to guillermo del toro i, I christopher nolan would have been my guy in this I, unfortunately i haven't seen ladybird so like, the only woman in this category is the one i can't really talk about but um i probably would have given it to christopher nolan just for the and sort of like what i said in the best picture nominee it's it's such an insane undertaking and how he pulled it off and with the IMAX cameras and exactly. to the thread those, uh, those three storylines or weave them. Uh, feels like I'm talking about Phantom Thread. <laughs> <laughs> weave them into one cohesive film. Yeah, and absolutely. I would have given it to, 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 to Chris, to my boy Chris. Exactly. I might mention him later on for something. We'll see. But uh, that's called a tease in this game. Uh, original song was Remember Me from Coco. Okay, sure, why not? Original score, Shape of Water. There you go again. Wins over Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Dunkirk, Phantom Thread, and Three Billboards. Uh, I think Phantom Thread had the best score of the year. I Absolutely. Mean, I that, agree. We talked about that in our yeah. review. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's going to be a sweep. It's going to be a sweep. I would have given it to Phantom Thread. Yeah, and Dunkirk and Star Wars, of course, great scores as well, in my book. I I haven't. It's weird. Last Jedi, I haven't seen it in a while. I told myself I'd see it a second time. I still haven't seen it a second time, but I, I remember the moments where the Star Wars fanfare played. Right. I can't really remember any of the original material in it. Yeah. I don't know if that means it wasn't that good or it's. It's because I haven't seen the movie in about two months, but yeah, I don't remember anything about that score. That's fair. That's a fair point. Or maybe is it just because the other stuff was so iconic that it's just kind of what your mind goes to? But yeah, I have the same same uh, thoughts. Yeah, I don't remember any of the original stuff either. 
I just remember I, uh, enjoying it. I uh, recently saw a YouTube video about Dunkirk's score. Um, I don't remember the terminology, but they use like some specific like uh, scale or something like that in music that really, really builds like the atmosphere and the tension. Yeah, and it's very effective. I think there's like um, alarm clock or there's something or no, the ticking like of a clock almost inside mm-hmm. the score yeah. to kind of build the tension. Yeah, I think that would have been my runner up. But uh, cinematography, Roger Deakins finally gets off <laughs> off the, the board. His 14th nomination, his very first win. <laughs> The the guy's the best in the business, bar none, and it's just great to see him win for Blade Runner 2049, my favorite movie of 2017. Um, yeah, great stuff. Definitely. Oh, very deserved. But you see, this this is actually one of those, and I know I kind of said the opposite before we hit record, where I said <laughs> something like, hey, how, why didn't you give it to him for anything else? But... It is such a well-made and well-shot film that it actually doesn't feel like one of those times where it's like, okay, right. we'll finally give it to him instead of the other ten movies. No, Blade Runner 2049 looks absolutely amazing. The problem with Roger Deakins is he deserves to win every year. So, you know, <laughs> you're never going to find the time where he's just going through the motions. I feel like... Probably would have given it to him even the year where he shot... Uh, what would he... Like his most quote boring looking movie would be like prisoners yeah i, I was going to dim for that i was going to say prisoners was pretty much you know as low grade as it gets for deacons but it still was pretty sensational yeah. original screenplay spoiler alert mcgee over there get brooks <laughs> i already told you get out jordan peele um wins over ladybird shape of water the big sick which i was happy to see get a nomination and three billboards um yeah get out is an incredible script uh, just amazing that this guy, the first movie he makes, he writes a script this good and directs a movie that well. Yeah, and it's like not in his uh, ballpark. He's like a sketch comedian actor. Yeah. Um, come out of the woodwork this, and uh, it was pretty flawless, and it was one of the most talked about movies at the time that it came out, um, which I guess it would be an argument for him to win, win Best Director, but... Uh, I think original screenplay was definitely sufficient. Yeah, and well, I think the thing about people that do sketch comedy is they sort of have to. I'm not a sketch sketch comedian, comedian writer or, or actor or director, but I feel as though if you're gonna make a name for yourself in that, you sort of have to have to understand situational comedy and what are things that happen in everyday life or things that make people feel awkward and how can you turn that into a humorous how can you give that a humor humorous tone and i actually think that's my favorite thing about get out there's so many scenes that are so yes on face value they're discomforting and they're kind of skin crawling but he makes them funny he finds the humor in it, it it's it's Poor choice of words. It's dark humor, right. uh, and and that's it's actually my favorite thing about that movie. I laughed a lot and I chuckled a lot during that movie. I actually think it's, although it, it's fine as a horror movie, it's it's decent. I actually I remember it more as a comedy, a, a dark comedy, mind you. But I actually remember it more as a comedy than a horror film. Yeah, I completely agree. And it seems like if you think about it, like 
being able to find the humor in a situation, that's not too many degrees away from... If you can find the humor in a situation, you can probably find the drama or the horror in a situation mm. yeah. if you just tilt your head in a different angle. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see what he has for us uh, in the future. And hopefully he keeps his uh, comedic tone in throughout his career as well. Uh, adapted screenplay, Call Me By Your Name uh, is the winner. It wins over The Disaster Artist, Logan, which, I mean, when's the last time a superhero movie got a script nomination? Wow, yeah. Molly's Game and Mudbound. Um, yeah, I I think Call, Call Me By Your Name probably deserves to win this. The other ones are good as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't have to agree. I, I mean, uh, would have been Call cool if Logan won, but... Sorry, what? No, sorry. I was going to say it would have been cool if Logan won, but I just don't see that happening. So I'm I'm happy with Call Me By Your Name winning this. Yeah, this is a tough category. I mean, even the Disaster Artist was uh, like a lighthearted comedy, but less like derived straight from that book. And uh, I thought they did a great job with that. Not a category I know much about. I've only seen Logan and Molly's Game. I had a great time with Molly Game, Molly's Game, but. I felt that had more to do with the performances, mm -hmm. less so than maybe the script. Uh, I haven't seen Call Me By Your Name. Uh, it, it'll probably be on Netflix in like two weeks, so I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll watch it then. Haven't seen The Disaster Artist, and I haven't seen – I don't even know what Mudbound is. Mudbound's a Netflix movie. Oh, um, okay. Really? So net oh, wow. So we got some Netflix movies being nominated for Oscars. Yeah, yeah, and it's good. It's good, too. It's – um. Okay. Yeah, it's good. It's worth checking out. All, all these movies in this category were Molly's Game. I would have liked to see Michael Sarah get a nomination for uh, Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> he was really good. He was pretty good. Yeah, he was good in it. Uh, let's see. Film editing, Dunkirk won. That makes sense. Um, oh, for sure. We'll just move past. Uh, visual effects, Blade Runner 2049. I was really happy to see this win. This was like a – I mean, it's such a minor category, but this was an upset on the books, everyone was predicting War for the Planet of the Apes to win, which would have been deserving as well, but Blade Runner, my favorite movie. It's a just incredible movie to look at visually, and the effects are great. Uh, Guardians, mm -hmm. Volume 2, Kong Skull Island, and Star Wars also nominated. What did you guys think? I would have definitely been pulling for Star Wars. I mean, it was uh, pretty mind-boggling, some of the stuff in there. True. It's funny that they went for Blade Runner 2049. I mean, yes, it has great visual effects. It's also the kind of movie that in the, of this um, in this category, of these nominees, I should say, I feel like it's the one that, that does the most, that goes that extra length to marry the real world costume sets and visual effects, whereas – I mean, honestly, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which looks – I think I was on one of, on, on this show to talk about that movie yeah. a few months ago. You know, it looks amazing. It's also very cartoonish. Kong, Kong Skyline looks amazing. It's also very cartoonish. Star yeah. Wars looks amazing. It's also very cartoonish. Blade Runner 249 feels like, well, here's visual effects creating a realistic-looking future world. It's interesting that they went with that. Planet of the Apes, just for – yeah, I probably would have given it to Planet of the Apes just for how crazy good-looking those monkeys are. Yeah, and it's seamlessly, uh, like, interacting with the real-world stuff. Yeah, but it, it just I find it interesting that three of the nominees, like, are 
extremely, extremely well made, but clearly like the more cartoonish of the nominees. And to my eyes, anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think Blade Runner, uh, Danny Villeneuve, did a great job uh, tricking the voters by casting Ryan Gosling in the lead role. He's so handsome. He just, it seems like it's a digital <laughs> effect. You know? yeah, of course. Come on. I've actually been debating. There's you now whenever a big movie comes out, they'll, they'll come out with um, like the art of such and such film. And uh, I've been really close to picking up the art of Blade Runner 2049. Like it's such a, an inspiring looking film. Yeah, I agree. That would be a great book to have. It was like a table book, a coffee table book. Oh yeah. Those massive coffee table <laughs> yeah, books. That would be a good uh, one. I, I actually, I think I actually have the one for Kong Skull Island. I've never even cracked it open. <laughs> uh, best animated feature. Um, Coco predictably Pixar wins. Again, um, it's a good movie. It's I'm glad it won over The Boss Baby, The Breadwinner, which I didn't see, Ferdinand, which I didn't see, and Loving Vincent, which I didn't see. Uh, <laughs> but it's definitely better than The Boss Baby. So yeah, I've never seen any of them, but you were uh, raping, so to speak, about Coco. Yeah, it was a good experience, and it was um, the first movie my daughter ever shed a tear from viewing a movie so that was yeah, so i've heard it's quite good i've heard it's quite good i mean it just still didn't help me in the box office draft so i don't really care that it won <laughs> yeah but uh, actually you know what looking at these nominees you have to forgive me i was only half paying attention <laughs> i have seen loving vincent i actually saw another nominee loving vincent very nice. good movie i liked it a lot oh cool i have to check it out then they're very big uh, unfortunately you know it'll probably have to be restricted to netflix but i actually saw it in theaters and it was quite an experience nice um, I didn't see it, but Dear Basketball won for Best Animated Short, and that's only notable because Kobe, Kobe Bryant is a Oscar winner now. Cool. How about that? Yeah. Supporting Actress goes to Allison Janney for I, Tanya. She wins over Mary J. Blige for Mudbound. There it is again. Leslie Manville, Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf, Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer, The Shape of Water. I would have gone with Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird. I think that was the most realistic, naturalistic uh, performance of the bunch. But Allison Janney, she's the more over-the-top, uh, abusive mother to Tanya Harding in I, Tanya. Did you guys see that movie? I have not. Neither have I, but the trailer, it's... I, I actually... I was looking at what was playing. I might be seeing something soon, and it's it's still playing theatrically. And, and I'm a big Aldous and Janney fan, so that's uh, I, I definitely want to see that. What, Octavia Spencer, what what did she do in that movie to potentially get an Oscar? Like honestly, yeah, I like Octavia Spencer, but <laughs> oh, for sure, it's a kind of a nothing role. I mean, I guess she has one scene when Michael Shannon kind of goes to her home, but I mean, yeah, there had to have been something else worth uh rewarding in my opinion yeah yeah i agree with laurie Metcalf. uh i thought her character in that movie was outstanding even leslie manville and uh phantom thread yeah definitely yeah very good very very good all right i don't know how much is worth talking about left um foreign language film a movie called a fantastic woman from chile one did not see it the only one i've seen is on body or no yeah on body and soul which I talked about a week or two ago. Um, was it good? Yeah, it was pretty good. I would have probably gave that the win since it was the only one I saw. 
uh, I heard good things about the square out of Sweden. I want to check. Yeah, that. I've heard good things too. I'm pretty sure the insult is playing in a theater near me. I've, I've, it's huh. not the first time I see that title. Yeah. Uh, we got to talk about documentary, definitely. Oh, yeah, we should talk about that. Let me just skip past a couple real quick. Production design, Shape of Water makes sense. Sound mixing and sound editing, Dunkirk and Dunkirk, those make sense. Costume design, Phantom Thread, yeah, of course. Are you oh, kidding? Yeah. Um, makeup and hairstyling, Darkest Hour, whatever. And documentary feature, the surprise upset. Everyone was predicting Faces Places, but instead it's Netflix's Icarus, which we've talked about on here. The sports movie about the uh, doping. He he does like a, a test case of what steroids can do for you. Yeah. And uh, it turns into something else. Yeah, you love that movie. I thought it was pretty good too. Yeah, I mean, I just for a documentary uh, like the revelations that came out of it is uh, it's got to be one of the most in at least recent years. I mean, Russia is banned from the Olympics basically because of the information that came out of this documentary. Mm -hmm. Did you see it? Is it like a positive spin on steroids or? No, not not at all. Um, he basically it starts off as he's a like a amateur biker. They do a sort of a Tour de France, but a shorter version. And he does one year with no steroids, and then one year with doing steroids. But nice. in doing that, he meets the head of the Russian steroid program, and he basically ends up admitting that Russia's been cheating with steroids in the Olympics for a long time. Yeah, and then he gets arrested halfway through the movie, right? Hopefully, it's the fleet Russia, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's worth checking out. Yes. Uh, the last award we'll talk about, which, shoo, this service was as long as the actual ceremony itself. Best Supporting Actor goes to Sam Rockwell for three billboards outside Emming, Missouri. He robs Willem Dafoe from the Fuller Project of his award, but... What are you going to do? Woody Harrelson was also nominated for Three Billboards, Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water, and Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World. Um, I love Sam Rockwell. He's one of my favorite you know, character actors. Uh, I think it's awesome that he got an award. He probably had my favorite speech of the night. He just kept it light. He was funny. Gave a shout-out to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Love the guy, but Willem Dafoe, I mean, he was incredible in the Florida Project. I thought he should have won by far. Yeah, um, definitely differentiated on our thoughts of the Florida Project. Yeah, but, that was a contentious one. <laughs> but, I mean, William Dafoe was great, and I just thought uh, it was a very subtle performance. Um, and I thought Sam Rockwell was very great in Three Billboards. Yeah, no, he he's pretty good. I, I can't comment on the Florida Project. Unfortunately, I haven't seen it. Oh, um, man. Of the nominees, <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I really like Woody Harrelson, but he's kind of playing Woody, Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Christopher. I don't know. I, I guess, you know what, of these nominees, and I haven't seen Florida Project, maybe I would have given it to Sam Rockwell. I, I, I think I'm okay with this. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty good performance. I just, it's funny because Brooks hated the Florida Project, and it's like my number three, three or four movie Oof. of the year. So, Tension. yeah, you could cut it with a knife. You you should check it out <laughs> and uh, break the tie. Let us know who's right and who's wrong. Well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, let's move on 
from one award to another. The winner of the fall box office draft, once again, is Casey Brady. Speaking of anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, what do you think, Casey? Chirp, 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 chirp. Uh, he wins with $1.4 billion in first place. He had Kingsman, the Golden Circle, which came away with $103 million. Thor Ragnarok, which got him $454 million. Murder on the Orient Express made $136 million for him. Darkest Hour, when you put in the awards and everything else, $218 million. And The Shape of Water was his biggest winner with $515 million. And also, his reserve even made $226 million. Wonder. So, yeah, there's there's Casey. Congrats, whatever. God, you're the, he's the Gary Oldman of this award show. Second he's the pl- crash of this award show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The artist. Second place goes to Edgar Chaput with $966 million. Not bad. Not bad I'm at not all. Showing, I, I, I will take pride. This is one of those cases where I didn't win. But I, I, on my own terms, I actually did a hell of a lot better than I normally do in any of these box office. I don't think I've ever made over nine hundred million dollars. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty. You had two incredible picks, and then three others that did basically nothing. <laughs> uh, you had the biggest winner of anybody with it, your first pick, a steal. Yeah. It got passed over by me for, you know, uh, for Justice League. Made $535 million when all was said and done. And that's without any awards. You also had Coco, which made you $438 million. So right there you're thinking, oh, you're in this. I got this. (laughs) Yeah, you got this. Except Jigsaw made you $28 million. Suburbicon, which, talk about disappointments. I mean, (laughs) I I didn't see the movie, but 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. It made $12.5 million worldwide. Negative $27 million in your pocket, right. out of your pocket. It's, it's, that's that's just the backlash, unsubstantiated backlash against George Clooney. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the movie? <laughs> no, I didn't see it. It looks like shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Lego Ninjago. Also, kind of surprising. I mean, I feel like the Lego movies before it had done fairly well, but negative about negative eight million dollars that blew my mind yeah like when that happened i thought i might be in trouble because i hey i got the lego animated movie of the season how can this go wrong i have negative eight million (laughs) yeah exactly that is pretty tough even blade runner 2049 which was your reserve and considered kind of a bust it would have netted you eighty-four million dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. <laughs> Third place. Last and least. Not last. Third place. Star Wars: The Last Jedi <laughs> <laughs> is in here with seven hundred and ninety-five million dollars. So, I guess it didn't do as astronomically well as I thought it would, but probably still enough that whoever would have picked it would have won so probably for the best we left it off to the side 
<laughs> but it still yeah, destroyed but, me. It still did. This, this has to become. We have to keep this rule. Like next, next autumn, right. next September, no one is picking whatever Star Wars movie is coming out. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, there is no Star Wars uh, this winter because Solo comes out in May. Oh, so that so, oh, just that will be interesting. But before we get you know, look ahead toward, towards the summer box office draft, we got to get to fourth place. It's me. Uh, $296 million. I'm struggling these last few uh, you, Yeah, <laughs> you're some, you had a rough summer, too, yeah. I remember. 2017, not my year. Hopefully, I can get enough investors to get back in the game and try to rebound in 2018. But I had a happy death day, which did fairly well on a small budget, but limited. It got me $80 million. Justice League, I did not realize... It was going to have a $300 million budget, and it it only made $658 million worldwide for and a 40% Rotten Tomatoes score for a grand total of $23 million for let, my let, number let one that pick. Sink in. Let that sink in. A movie with Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, who had literally just come out with the most <laughs> yeah. popular movie of the year, could not make more than $650 million. Yeah. That's crazy. That is insane insanity it's probably because i picked it with my number one pick and cursed it to hell sorry about that warner <laughs> brothers but uh ferdinand i thought was going to be a huge animated hit it had a much bigger budget than i was anticipating 111 million that's the story of my fall 47 million dollars it, it gave me pitch perfect three worst of the trilogy in every aspect got me 29 million dollars and I did pick The Post, which was my best <laughs> pick. Got me $116 million. And even my reserve sucked. Downsizing, negative $40 million. So Oof. I'm just going to stop talking trash when we do these drafts and uh, <laughs> uh, see what happens. But uh, I have... It's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those unpredictable things. Like You think Pitch Perfect 3... That's obviously going to make more money than it did. Justice League is going to make, you know, close to, if not a billion, it'll make eight or nine hundred million right, dollars. And just, you know, weird things happen sometimes. You know, you'd think, oh, Wonder Woman was like two months ago. Here she is back again. And not as many people go see it. Why? Because, I don't know, word of mouth. Uh, people are tired of Zack Snyder. I don't know. People just don't go see it. Yeah, I know. It blows my mind. But more stats on this. If you look at the Rotten Tomatoes scores for each uh, participant, Casey had the best Rotten Tomatoes score with a combined average of 76% per movie. Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I was actually in second somehow with 60% and still did miserably. But uh, Edgar, you weren't far behind. You have 59%. Average. Yeah, well, Jigsaw, what do you got? You got Lego. Oh, yes, Suburbicon and Jigsaw. Yeah, those were were damaging. But I have a new rule proposal for next year for the fall box office draft. Just another way to differentiate it from the summer. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think. Um, How about we we do our five movies that were released in the fall. Same rules. Still have a reserve. But you have a special slot for movies released 
before the fall that you can only get the points for the nominations and, and potential wins in the award Lombard. season. Yeah, kind of like I, you know, I could have picked Get Out and hmm. I would just get the points for the award stuff. Uh, you could have picked Dunkirk and, you know, something like that. Just something to uh, spice it up a little bit. Interesting. It's interesting that that's a difficult predictor, though. Like oh yeah. If <laughs> if we're if we if we flash back to four or five months ago, whenever it was, does anybody does anybody at this table know or think Get Out is going to get those nominations? Maybe maybe I, I don't follow like the the movie industry buzz news, so maybe. I, well, not maybe. I know I don't have the posts. I don't take the posts. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but like I never would have thought of Get Out as, oh, here's my special slot movie. I'm not, I'm not opposed to the idea, but that is going to be a, uh, a wacky and wild prediction. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Dunkirk was kind of predictable. Yeah, um, it's true. I probably no, would have picked... I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open I probably would have picked Wonder Woman because I thought maybe that had a chance at some nominations. It ended up not getting any, but... Yeah, I don't know. Just an idea. You know, we got some time. Sit and think on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I am excited for the summer box office draft this year because it's going to be Blockbuster City. You got. Well, the, blo- the box the summer is fun because you don't have to worry about Oscar nominations. It's just, you know, what's going to make my, as much money as it can. Yeah, exactly. But off the top of my head, you got. The sequel to the, one of the biggest movies ever, the surprise Jurassic World uh, sequel. You have Han Solo movie. You have Avengers Infinity War. So right there, three behemoths that are just... What's the cutoff, Pete? It's typically... May. That's another thing I have to talk about. Uh, it's usually the first weekend of May is the su- start of summer. And it goes to the end of August. It's the four months from May to August. But Marvel just announced that Infinity War is coming out a week early at the end of April. Mm. So I think the new way to know when summer starts is when the big Marvel movie comes out. So I think we might have to include that movie. or do we not include it? Because it's sort of like the Star Wars of the season. Well, there is like, a Star I, is, Wars. Is Avengers of Infinity War not going to make a billion dollars? It will, but isn't Jurassic World and Han Solo as well? I don't think Han Solo will make as money as much as you think it is. I, I really don't. Then no, leave definitely. it to me. Leave it to me. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Well, you know what? With your luck, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you pick on Solo. Let me pick Avengers and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I guess we'll have to figure that out. <clears throat> That's not that far, actually. It's only uh, less than two months away. Summer movie. I guess season. I'll be back. I'll be back on this show in a couple of weeks. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe month, month and a half. I, I really, we got to get Casey in for the summer at least. As much as yeah, uh, probably kick your ass. I hate to admit it, he's pretty good at this, apparently. So, all right. Well, hey, it's 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 the more the merrier, and and a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, some friendly gentleman bets. It's always fun, and we can yeah. pop Brooks's cherry with the summer box <laughs> office draft. Ah, it'll be a fun time. Yeah. All right, let's get to an actual movie review on this show. How about it, Black Panther? 
Huge movie. I'm looking up exactly how much money it's made. But speaking of Marvel, they've got a winner on their hands here. The Black Panther solo movie first premiered in uh, Avengers Civil War uh, 2016. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's made $930 million worldwide. And it's not been out that long. Yeah. It's not even been out a month, and it's almost made a billion dollars. So, a whole lot of records, I think. That's incredible. But uh, yeah, this is the story of T'Challa, um, played by Chadwick Boseman. Uh, he returns home to Wakanda after helping the Avengers in Civil War. Like I said, not Age of Ultron. I always want to say, just like you, Edgar. I always want to say Age of Ultron after any Avengers title. And, um, Great title. It is. It is. Uh, he comes back to take his rightful place as king after the death of his father T'Chaka in Civil War, and a new threat arises in the in the world. Uh, Claw, I believe he was. He was actually in Age of Ultron. He was a, a side villain for a brief second in that movie, and Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger uh, teams up with him. And, uh, yeah, the story goes from there. It has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, the best-reviewed superhero movie of all time. What did you guys think coming in? Were you, uh, you were anticip- what was your anticipation level, and did it meet your expectations, Edgar? Oh, I, I, I was pretty excited about it. I, the, the teaser trailer kept playing in front of, literally every single movie that i went to see throughout the summer and the fall so i had that that rap song that hip-hop song in my head it's actually actually just downloaded it i was like the hell with this i need to actually listen to the whole thing good song by the way yeah and um i thought the costume looked awesome i like the character in civil war uh, i by and large i tend to like the marvel films quite a bit and you know, judging by the trailer, where it was taking place, the sorts of costumes and the sorts of, I guess, fictitious cultures that we were going to explore in the movie, I was genuinely intrigued and anticipating a, a, a good movie, a strong movie. Uh, so I was quite excited. And I would say it met those expectations. Awesome, awesome. Brooks, what did you yeah, think? I agree. I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of expectations going in. Of course, there was all kinds of buzz around it, and uh, you had talked, you had predicted that it was going to be the biggest uh, movie maybe ever or of the year. Yeah, um, how about it? But I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not like the biggest Marvel fan. I don't, I haven't seen a lot of the the newer uh, Marvel movies. Um, but I will say, I went and saw this in theaters, which I do not go to the movies very often. Haven't been in probably two, at least two years. Um, and man, am I glad I went and saw this in the theater because it just the, the whole environment of it is just incredible. Awesome. Um, yes, very, so. very happy to hear that. Very happy to yeah. hear that. Yeah, I was, my anticipation level was pretty high for this one. Like Edgar said, I mean, you knew the score and the soundtrack was going to be great just from the trailers. Um, they really nailed that aspect of it. But from the comic books, I always had an affinity for the character, the Black Panther. I just feel... I, I never really read his solo comics, but he was always, like, a, a a part of the Avengers in multiple times, and his character just held 
the gravitas of a king. You know, he, the royalty, you could, at least to me in the comics, his first of all, his costume was cool looking and just seemed like he was an important person and a badass. And, and he, indeed he is. Chadwick Boseman played the character great in Civil War. I thought that was a great uh, little, you know, sneak peek at what his character could be in a solo film. And yeah, I I was greatly anticipating it, and I absolutely loved the movie. Directed by Ryan Coogler, one of my favorite young directors upcoming. He directed Fruitvale Station and Creed, which is one of my favorite movies in the past five or six years or so. Uh, The movie starring Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, who I believe is... um, Michonne from The Walking Dead, Letitia Wright, Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out, Forrest Whitaker from A Million Movies, Martin Freeman, Andy Serkis, Angela Bassett, and Sterling K. Brown. So a a hell of a cast to go along with everything else. Where to begin? Um, What do you think... Ryan Coogler established himself as Best Young Director or not? Well, I mean, Christ, uh, the guy's made three movies, and Fruit Row Station, great, you know, realistic, tragic, uh, extremely well edited, uh, based on a true story film. Then he does a absolutely fantastic uh, Rocky spinoff, which is getting its own sequel. It was so popular and good. Uh, although I'm hearing he's not directing that actually. Yeah, um, he's not. It's and shit. now he's made you know one of the one of the better you know one of the better Marvel films in a fleet of movies that by and large are pretty decent. So I mean these three for three, uh, he's betting a thousand as you would say. But his three hits have been like home runs. It's, yeah. he's he's quite something. <laughs> I, if, man, I the the day when he makes a movie and the general public's like, well, I was like, you yeah. know whatever like that's, that's gonna be a weird feeling because yeah. so far he's been excellent hasn't happened yet yeah i would i agree i mean uh i thought he did an outstanding job we've said in the past like anything that has the name like a star wars franchise or a marvel franchise there's a certain uh you know a line it's gonna be at least this good just because the budget's so big the production's so good um but i think this film went above and beyond that yeah, for sure. And uh, speak uh, just on a budget level, they really, I think for the most part, got their money's worth. Um, yeah, I mean, it costs a lot of money, but the money's on the screen. I think the visuals are amazing, beautiful, like landscapes. The way Wakanda looks is just mind-blowing. Uh, the only problem with uh, the CGI, I feel like, is when Black Panther is in motion, I feel like the CGI for his suit, or his character model could use a little more refining, but other than that, I think it looks great. They do have a problem with that. I say problem, I use the term lightly, but in these Marvel, well, not just Marvel movies, I I can't just blame Marvel, it's most of these big budget films. Whenever there's a, a character who is, for a few seconds, not played by the actor, but solely produced digitally, it's true that there is a little bit of that rubbery uh, weightlessness to them Um, and yeah there's a few moments like that uh, I'm I'm sure it's a new movie so we won't get into spoilers but there's a particular 
fight between Black Panther and, and Killmonger at the end where I'm like, well, conceptually, this is a pretty good idea, but it kind of just looks like a big cartoon, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> no doubt. But speaking of Killmonger, he might be my favorite part of the movie. Um, it seems like whenever Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan get together, they produce some magic because this character is a sympathetic villain with who's just a, looks like a badass, has charisma. Um, I don't know. I just I loved his performance in this movie. I think he's he goes down as one of the best Marvel villains to date. Yeah, I thought he I thought he did a great job. Um, there was a few lines in the movie that I thought were like a little corny and forced, but uh, you know it definitely didn't didn't affect the movie as a whole very much. Uh, well, about yeah, Michael B. Jordan's very good in, in in the role, and I think his character of Killmonger is is a really good example of that old adage 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 adage, <laughs> uh, where the interesting villain is the one you can understand their point of view, mm-hmm. but their actions are nevertheless extremely villainous. Yes, And I felt that was that perfect marriage. The backstory was very interesting. It was a worthy backstory. Like, you understand where he's coming from, but this dude is does not mean good business. I mean, mm-hmm. he is batshit crazy at this point. You, you, yeah, you had a rough past. I feel you, bro, but you're, you're a freaking maniac. Like, you're going <laughs> yeah. crazy here. And, but that, but that marriage between those two, uh, viewpoints is, really works in, in this in this film because um, you know he's so dedicated to returning to Wakanda to take what he thinks uh, to take to take Wakanda in the direction where he believes it should go which is an extremely different direction from 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 that which Wakanda had taken up until that point again we're trying to dance around spoilers mm-hmm. here but I thought the the film married those two viewpoints or those two possibilities very well. This guy where his upbringing and, and the circumstances of, of what happened to him, uh, very real. You know, unfortunately, we, you know, we read about this stuff even as an outsider. I don't live in the United States, but even as an outsider, you still hear about those things. And they happen here as well, too, sometimes. Uh, so you get that. But this guy is not a nice person. <laughs> yeah. He is a bad, bad man. Absolutely. I definitely got like a, you know, Professor X Magneto vibe. Uh, In even, one, but rolled into one. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, or kind of like um, a Caesar versus Koba from the mm. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Or even like a Lion King. There was definitely like a Lion King vibe is, is visually, especially. Uh, with the landscapes and stuff, yeah, well, they're I, all dressed like cats. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, just great dynamic. I almost wish there was more of Killmonger in the movie, but at the same time, I I don't know what where I would force it in or what I would take out because I pretty much enjoyed everything going on here. You know, one of my favorite moments in the film. So sorry to to intrude, but we talked about. Uh, Ryan Coogler as a director and, and, and Killmonger, the character. You know, the Marvel movies, by and large, are, are really, really well made. But there are rarely instances in them where I think, from an artistic point of view, they're incredibly impressive. They're usually just really well made. In this movie, and I saw this movie a few weeks ago, in this movie, there is a scene, there's a cut 
from a conversation that Black Panther is having, I think, with the Forest Whitaker character when when T'Challa has learned that his his pops maybe did something a little mm-hmm. little weird in the past. Yeah. So they have a bit of a disagreement, and through that disagreement, T'Challa learns, well, who is this Killmonger? Oh, God, that's who he is. And the movie cuts from that argument to a beautiful wide shot of it. The sun rising, it is dawn, and Killmonger is walking towards the camera. He's walking towards one of the villages carrying something. I won't say what. It's like the enemy comes bearing gifts, and he will infiltrate that way. It is the dawn of a new era. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Brooks? Yeah, I agree. That's, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that scene was very powerful. Um, like you said, it's kind of hard to dance around with that. Uh, yeah, because yeah. the gift is pretty important, but we can't really say what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. You know what else I liked about the movie? And, you know, I am a big fan of the Marvel movies. I like how they're all connected and, you know, there's it's almost serialized like a comic book and, like, you need to see the one to find out what happens next and then what happens next. This is pretty much a standalone story. Not much interconnections. There's no cameos from other big Avengers heroes. Sure, you have Everett Ross, who had a small role in Civil War, and Claw, uh, the other villain who I thought was great as well, with uh, Andy Serkis hamming it up in the role. He was in Age of Ultron briefly, but this really was its own story, and it made sense, so. It made sense why no one else got involved. This was a story of Wakanda, and their whole their whole theory on civilization at that point on how you know basically immigration they don't want anyone coming in they don't want to go out and help people so yeah that that was pretty cool yeah absolutely and i think i enjoyed this film more because of that because like i said i haven't seen a lot of the more recent marvel films and uh i was happy i didn't have to have a big refresher on backstory coming into this yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where if if someone maybe you're actually a good example, uh, Brooke, someone who maybe doesn't watch every single one of them religiously, like like most of us do, but you still want to see the new one without getting too lost, but you want to know the feel of it. You know, what do you generally get when you head into a Marvel film, but not be confused? Yeah, Black Panther is actually one of the rare, very good examples of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you guys think of Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw? I thought he was awesome. Um, I mean, uh, he's got so many great uh, roles in his past, but I think this is just another check on his list of great things he's done. Yeah, it's kind of interesting seeing him not uh, CG, not CGI, but I don't know what they could stop motion. Uh, mocap. Uh, playing a stop motion character. Mocap, there you go. Um, it's kind of interesting actually seeing him in the movie. He's certainly hamming it up. I, I, I would say uh, he, he's fun. He's maybe almost hamming it up more than what I can take. <laughs> I never said I think the movie's perfect. I think the movie's very good. I don't mm-hmm. think it's perfect. He's I wouldn't dare say he's a weak link, but there were a couple of moments where I'm like, wow, you can you know you can take a chill pill right here. Although <laughs> I do like what he. Does to one poor bastard at the um, 
kind of museum, how, how, you know, how he gets rid of somebody that's, yes. that's that, you know, again, we talked about black humor earlier when we were talking about get out. I think that that was a good example. I, I maybe that says a little bit too much about me. I actually thought that was kind of funny. I thought it was pretty funny too. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he, Homer's playing like a cartoon character, even though it's one of his few live action roles. Uh, I thought he was funny in a dark way, like you said. And another transition point I want to make here is a connection to what we're going to talk about next. This movie is very James Bond-esque, and especially the middle section that takes place in South Korea. Uh, Felt very Bond, right? Because Black Panther, he's got all the gadgets and the technology, and he's got an earpiece directly to his uh, sister, played by Letitia Wright, who was hilarious and uh, pretty much a breakout star in this movie, in my opinion. She's like the, the smart one who invented all of these things and telling him how to use them. There's like some great chase scenes. And even that... Yeah, her- sorry. She also not- brought uh, like the lighthearted feel to it, a lot of witty comments. And- yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, even that opening scene, like you said, when... He disposes of someone in a funny, creative way. Even that kind of felt Bond-esque to me. Edgar, as the expert, what do you think? <laughs> sure, right. As, as the one that suffers from the James Bond complex. <laughs> um, it, yeah, no, there, it, it definitely echoes a few things from, from that series. I mean, everybody loves the Bond gadgets. And, and, and not only do people love the Bond gadgets, they like the scenes where Bond receives his gadgets. And we actually get a scene like this here where she's explaining how his new suit will work. And, well, you trust it out, you know, kick it. And it sort of bounces. As he kicks it and it absorbs some energy, so it smacks him back, something like that. So mm-hmm. you know, you, you there is a, a bit of that there, and and there's also the fact that Wakanda, being a secretive society that no one supposedly knows about it, well, how do they do their business abroad? Well, they have a web of spies. Well, we don't see, they're mentioned. We don't really see many of them. Um, but that that was kind of cool as well. That's you know, you got your web of spies there. Uh, yeah, it, it's. I, I would agree. There's it maybe not throughout the whole movie. The movie has maybe a few other things on its mind, but there, there, it's it's peppered throughout. I did, uh, uh, and there's actually a joke. Uh, somebody reminded me of the joke at work uh, in the um, not the pre-title sequence, but the, <laughs> the very first scene of the movie that takes place in Oakland when somebody knocks on the door of where a couple of hoodlums are, are, are and one of them looks to the keyhole and says, hey, there's like a uh, Grace Jones looking character. And Grace Jones, who is a sort of iconic African-American music artist from the 80s, played a henchwoman in a Bond film. So I ah, thought that was kind of funny. There you go. And even the, like with Wakanda, like the way I guess you would say their economy works, it's, uh, it's, that's got uh, some hints of Bond plot points in it also but the real- uh, yeah you know this resource and it's all based on this re- there's a little bit of that in there I guess yeah but the real question is what are those remember that joke from the movie <laughs> <laughs> oh god the, sh- uh, the shoes <laughs> yeah the, the sandals that was funny it's it's and that's that's actually that was a funny moment I do feel this film uh, found the right tone, the right balance between taking itself seriously enough, being staying true to the drama at heart, 
while pep being peppered with some lighthearted moments. I, I'm going to come clean. I thought Thor Ragnarok was fine. And the reason why I thought it was fine, because it just never, ever, ever took itself seriously. <laughs> yeah, uh, whereas I felt Black Panther had me chuckling every now and then, but the story took itself seriously. And I think I like it when the Marvel movies do that, as opposed to when they do Thor Ragnarok, which I think is okay. Really? Ah, yeah. I love Thor. I, I, I would put uh, Thor ahead of Black Panther, at least after one viewing of Black Panther. But they're both in my top five Marvel movies. <coughs> um, what about the action in this movie? I, you know, a lot of expectations after Creed that Ryan Coogler could come in and really do something special with the action. I don't know if... I don't think he reaches the heights of Creed, especially the final battle scene is a little cartoony towards the end but there there's some pretty good stuff in here i thought with like uh there's a couple hand-to-hand combat scenes uh that i really enjoyed i liked just the, like the location on a waterfall with the the colorful costumes up on this mountain and uh, i thought that was well choreographed and also like the again back to south korea like um his henchwoman who had like the long staff and she's swinging that thing around really cool. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o did pretty well with her action stuff. And then there's a scene where, like, uh, Denai Guerrero throws, like, a javelin through a car that I thought was really awesome. <laughs> yeah. What did you guys think of the action? Uh, I thought it was great. Um, it's not, like, there was a little bit, but it's not, like, huge scales, like how Spider-Man Homecoming was with the... Uh, the fairy scene and stuff like that. Like but, a big set piece type thing? Yeah. But, um, I mean, we talked, you guys talked about a little bit of the CGI looking a little weary. Yeah. But I thought as a whole, I thought it was entertaining. And like you said, the hand-to-hand combat scenes, that was, uh, I enjoyed that. It was not I, I so much relying on special effects. Mm-hmm. For those that, I think probably the two instances in which we saw, uh, the director um, sort of utilized what he worked on in Creed was the two uh, ceremonial challenges when they were challenging the king. I think that was the point. And then it happens twice in the film. Those were probably the, the most visceral uh, action sequences. Those were probably the two where I was the most engaged uh, from a dramatic standpoint. The casino scene was pretty good too. A lot of the rest is kind of cartoonish. Again, it's generally it's it's well made, but and again, here's why I think Black Panther is pretty darn good, but not excellent. Maybe is yeah those final fifteen twenty minutes when it just everything just looks like a cartoon. I I do tend to zone out a little bit when that happens. Although although rhinoceros back riding rhino back riding was was pretty funny yeah uh, I, <laughs> I don't know who came up with that but that was pretty cool um but yeah i do too to, I, I i tune out a little bit whenever it just becomes a big cartoon so it's it's good action but i think i like the story and the characters more if i and i will rewatch it i liked it enough to rewatch it i'm gonna rewatch it for the characters in the story less so the action yeah 100 percent um I didn't stay for the post-credit scenes because I took my two-year-old son with me to see the movie. He brought his Black Panther action figure and sat there pretty well until about a half an hour left. I had to give him 
go buy him some uh, Reese's Pieces to get him to <laughs> remain for the the rest of the movie. So we booked it as soon as the movie ended. But did you guys stay for the post credit scenes? I did. Uh, I didn't even know about them, but Joel. Without uh, spoiling, just... I just realized. Uh, <laughs> so what's the point? What's that? I just realized uh, we shouldn't spoil them, but. Uh, <laughs> so what's the point? But uh, were they good? <laughs> uh, they were. Um, it seems like take forever. I mean, it was like ten minutes of credits, right. but I guess yeah. that's for usual. But uh, I did. I didn't stay to the other one. I I usually I tend to stay for the mm-hmm. one that appears after the title appears because you're only waiting what, like right. two minutes for that. I don't stay for the one that comes ten minutes after that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, somebody that was more in tune with the Marvel Universe would probably enjoy it better than I, but, uh, I mean, it was, I think it just, it adds more to what the universe might unfold to. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, um, where would you guys rank Black Panther as far as other Marvel movies, if you, uh, had to? And I do say you have to. (laughs) Uh, I'll let Edgar take this one first. Right. Buy yourself more time, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I, 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 I'm going to say this. I think the Marvel movies, and unfortunately there aren't as many as, I, as I'd like that do this, but they can't. They can't all do this, mind you. I like it when they do what Marvel movies do, which is action and characters, a little bit of comedy, big special effects, but they also have a few ideas on their mind. And the, the two that come to my mind are this one, and uh, Captain America Civil War, where there was that great debate about the registration and, and freedom and this and that. So those those two obviously come to the forefront of my mind as far as what I kind of like in, in, in a Marvel film. Um, so I would say Black Panther, Civil War. Uh, to this day, I'm still a huge, huge fan of the first Iron Man movie. And man, I love those Guardians films. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Those are good. Those are that. I don't know where you'd rank them, but somewhere in my top five, you got Black Panther, Civil War, both Guardians films, and the first Iron Man. Nice, Brooks. Did to buy enough time? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you you remind me of the Iron Man films. I did enjoy those. Uh, the original, I guess not the original, but the Spider Man series. The first two were very good. Uh, what about the folk? Yeah, yeah. Those aren't MC Jimmy movies, Franco. but I'll, I'll let it slip. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I've only seen the first Guardians. Um, I would have to put Black Panther definitely in the top five, maybe top three. Nice. All right. Well, I have all 18 ranks. I won't go through that entirely. <laughs> my number one is Guardians of the Galaxy, the original. Still holds up as my best, even on rewatch. I think that's. That's pretty much as good as it gets with Marvel movies. I, I, as I recall, we did we do a double review or did we just bring up the first one because we were reviewing the second one? Yeah, I can't I think remember. That's it. I think that was more. I hadn't seen it since the theater, and so it'd been a couple of years. And man, did that does that movie ever hold up? Yeah, it, it really holds does. up so well to a surprising degree, in my opinion. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's true. My number two, you disagree, Edgar, but Thor Ragnarok. I even wow. re- rewatched it again at home, and st- I just think it's hilarious. I love the the rock monster. I just think Taika Waititi direction combined with a character 
whose other two movies are number 16 and 17 on this list, uh, saved saved the franchise, saved the Thor name and brand. Uh, number three, OG Avengers, the very first Avengers movie. I just think to bring all these iconic characters together in such a way was really well done. Number four, Spider-Man Homecoming from last year as well. I think right up there, maybe the best Spider-Man movie to date. And then number five, Black Panther. But I do believe it could go up on a rewatch. But uh, so you're pretty sold on what they've been doing, uh, what they've been doing lately. Yeah, I really am. I think they're killing it the last year or two. I think they really they're taking risks. I mean, of course, not going completely off the wall here. But I mean, Guardians is. A little. The first one at the time was kind of a risk, something different. I think Thor Ragnarok is definitely a risk. I just because they're so successful, I feel like they can finally let the directors actually kind of do their own thing, and uh, I think it's paying off. I think eventually one of these is going to be a dud. I think the last time a Marvel movie came out that kind of didn't work completely was the original Ant-Man, even though I still did enjoy it, but... It's okay. The only, yeah. the only one that comes to mind, and it's probably not very fair because it's been a few years, is the second... I actually kind of like the first Thor movie, if I'm being honest, but the second one, I remember walking out of there really disliking it intensely, but it's it's been so long. Yeah, that one is really bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think they found a footing... And uh, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. But uh, what would you guys, to wrap things up, what would you guys give Black Panther out of 10? Uh, I would have eight and a half, maybe nine out of 10. Nice. I thought it was, like I said, exceeded any expectations and raised the bar from what a standard like Marvel movie or a big franchise tag would, would do. Uh, I'll go a really rock solid eight. It's it's extremely entertaining. You know, a little again, my my usual problems with the final twenty minutes of of these films, um, and and Andy Circus is maybe hamming it up a little bit too much. But you know, it's 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 really really good. And there ain't a whole lot else playing right <laughs> right now, so you might as well see this. Yeah, no doubt about it. A uh, couple quick things just to finish up my notes here. I thought Imbaku, the first kind of semi-villain that showed up, he uh, his character took a turn in the movie, and I thought uh, that was a good, pretty good character for such a supporting role. Oh, the the vegetarian king. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I also really enjoyed the opening, very opening, like CGI, completely CGI origin story scene that kind of quickly laid out the uh you know the history of the black panther itself and wakanda's rise and just thought it did it in an artistic way get it out of the way and then get straight to the story and the characters that we want to follow kind of reminded me of the ant-man story (laughs) well that came out poorly kind of remind me of ant-man in so far as there can be multiple like there was like michael douglas was the ant-man and now paul rudd is it's kind of like the same concept where there isn't one black panther Whoever the dude or maybe the woman at some point who is chosen, well, they're just the Black Panther, and that sort of it's like a it's it's a, not hereditary, but it's passed from generation to generation. Yeah. Yeah, and the idea of drinking that flower juice to get the powers, like it's not 
he wasn't bit by a radioactive panther. He uh, he actually, you know, intentionally ingested something to become that. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, oh, yeah. I would give it 9 out of 10. So, I That's love it. Nice. What do you think in Black Panther 2? Where, where, where are they going? Are they going to make a sequel or this is going to wrap it up, <laughs> Brooks? <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> Uh, uh, I would say that the post-credit scenes definitely tell you a bit about that. Okay. Well, then I'll just infer to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to talk about something that Edgar loves. James Bond himself. He's got a complex. <clears throat> We're here to diagnose it? I don't know. I'm suffering. I'm suffering. And I love it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this was kind of like a, a mousse-bouche, an appetizer for me to kind of get into it. I know Brooks is kind of a... He's been a fan of Bond, and, and Edgar obviously is. And the only movies I had seen were the Daniel Craig movies. Uh, so I said, look, you're coming on the show. You have this new podcast. Prescribe me some uh, some of the best ones. What should I watch? And you laid out From Russia With Love, Goldfinger... The Spy Who Loved Me, and Golden Eye. Looks like you you gave me a mix of different Bonds. We got some, uh, what's his name, Sean Connery, some Roger Moore, some Pierce Brosnan, different eras, different styles. Yeah, very different styles. <laughs> the theme of gold and love is all over this list. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was very happy to kind of get caught up in and get some more history of Bond in my film. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Why do you love James Bond is what I'm trying to get at. Why do I love James Bond? I think James Bond is kind of my comic book character. It's it's like, it's my fantasy land, if you will. The world, it looks like the real world, sounds like the real world, smells like the real world, kind of tastes like the real world but it's but it's just that much heightened and i like that concept i like something that's kind of sort of believable but also you know this is still it's like the real world on crack um and and i like that kind of universe i like going into that universe and I like traveling. I like learning about different places, and James Bond travels all over the place in in all these movies. So that's always a lot of fun. And there's something, um, and this probably speaks to the type of stories I like, you know, film noir and and and, and those types of movies. Uh, James Bond is is a man of contradictions. He's he fights for the right side. He also has a license to kill. Uh, he will save the day, but he's also a bit of a misogynist. He, um, his job is to serve and protect, so to speak, but he blows shit up all left and right all the time. Like he's, <laughs> he's a walking contradiction. And you know, he's a secret agent, but he walks into a bar and, ah, Mr. Bond, do you want <laughs> yeah. your martini shaking nuts? Like, it makes no sense. <laughs> And I think I, I like those contradictions. He's he's you can describe James Bond, but you've also not really understood who he is until recently. When now that we know who his brother is, but um, other than that, uh, yeah, I I like the idea of that kind of a character and the world that character 
and habits. I also personally think, not for all of the reasons, it's not good to kill people and you should have protected sex. Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, he's well-dressed. So what do you do when you go to a tailor? He speaks, he's a multilinguist. Well, learn a language. Uh, he knows how to order his food and wine. Well, learn about how to cook and what alcohol is to drink. Uh, he's in shape. Well, go to the gym. You know, like he's kind of an inspiration in that sense. So I, I do find some level of inspiration in James Bond. But that's that's just me. But I do think in some fashion, not always, I do think he's a bit of an inspiring figure. Yeah, and who can, who else could look at a woman and just that's it? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's right. Well, see, remember when I said it looks like the real world, but it's not the real. Like, that's, that's not the real world. Yeah, that's not uh, how it works. Yeah. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Try it. Doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's why it took me so long to find my wife. Anyway, um, Brooks, what is your history with the character, and you know what? What do you think about it? Uh, well, um, my history. I would have to say it definitely started off with GoldenEye. Um, between the game and the film, it was... Uh, I mean, GoldenEye to this day is one of my favorite video games of all time, and it came out on, on uh, N64, which I don't know how long ago. I was not very old. But, uh, <laughs> so, and then the movie... Uh, it was very cool because, like, the video game followed the movie, I thought, very well. And uh, I think I've seen every Pierce Brosnan Bond. But I do remember thinking about this podcast. I had a memory come up of, uh, like, a summer day at my mom's house when I was a little kid. You were, like, swimming in the pool and then went to Blockbuster. And I got, uh, I believe it was Moonraker VHS from Blockbuster. And I fell in the jaws and... Uh, so it's it was definitely a big part of when I was young. Well, nice. Moonraker is a kid. It, it's, it's not a kid's film. There's a few dark moments in it, but you know, if you're gonna show, a, if you're gonna show a child a Bond <laughs> film, you probably would go with Moonraker. Interestingly enough, yeah, um, yeah, and it's funny. I feel like your dad looks like Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> yeah. Kind of ooh, ooh. Yeah, I mean, he kind of has that vibe to him. It's just uh, a funny thing. I know you loved Goldeneye because I, I remember going over your house a while ago in the summer. And it was like, you guys, and maybe it was just that summer, you guys were like watching Goldeneye on loop. Yeah. And I still uh. didn't watch it. <laughs> Until now. Yeah. But, I uh, and favorite movies. That's crazy and awesome at the same time. Uh, I feel like after this prescribe, prescription that I got, uh, the medicine is kicking in. I feel like I understand what, what Bond is all about now. I feel like it's action set pieces, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful women with funny names, <laughs> one-liners, and over-the-top villains, and that's, that's James Bond. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I enjoyed this. Uh, I enjoyed this little journey. Uh, for the most part, I I liked all the films, some more than others. We'll go one, but Brooks didn't uh, watch them like I did. I I couldn't force him to watch like five or six movies in a week. It just was too much for him. But <laughs> <laughs> didn't 
But uh, yeah, we'll go one by one. But first, I wanted to know, Edgar and Brooks, what are your favorite Bonds and what is your favorite Bond film? Brooks? Well, I would have to definitely go with Pierce Brosnan just because that's, uh, you know, they came out in my, uh, I guess, since I've been born, you know, that, that was the James yeah, Bond that I... your era. Uh, yeah. It's funny but how like that I said, works. What was that? No, but, no, go ahead, Brooks. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, I mean, like I already said, GoldenEye is um, one of my favorite movies, so it's definitely by far my favorite GoldenEye movie. I mean, the Pierce Brosnan movies after that I thought were so-so. Um, I forget which one Holly Berry was in. Uh, oh, Die Another Day. Yeah. But, I mean, they were they just don't stand up to GoldenEye in my mind. And I think, like I said earlier, it has to do with the video game because it story mode in that game you play along so well with the plot of the movie and I love 006 and, uh, so that's Sean definitely B. you know but, hearing uh, hearing you say GoldenEye is not just one of your favorite Bond films but one of your favorite films I mean this this evening just gets better and better <laughs> <laughs> uh, as oh, yeah, it's true I guess I didn't even answer the question um for the, you know, that's a tough question. I, I've never, for the longest time, I should say, I wasn't able to, to answer it as to what my favorite Bond interpretation is because I can I can roll with, with any of them. And there are even a couple in the sampling I offered you, Bob. There's still a couple you haven't seen yet, uh, maybe in due time. But I can roll with any of the interpretations. And I, I came to the realization not particularly long ago that – there, it's it's two answers. It's two answers. Uh, one of my answers, oh, what's my favorite? You know what? It's just ask me what's the last one I watch, and that's what I have on my mind, you know, because I can roll with any of them. I know it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but it's true. I can't really pick one as my favorite. However, and I've given this answer to a few people, uh, if, if I could in my own fantasy if i could play james bond like if i was the actor and they hired me for bond well, not 25 but whatever the next one after one is if i were going to find some inspiration in one of the interpretations more than the other because of who i am in my daily life i would i would my bond would be roger moore that's how I, that's how i would play him i'm as Roger Moore himself often said when he was asked to like compare his way with the other ones, he would often say, well, you know, Sean Connery was a killer. Sean would – if he walked into a room and there was a beautiful woman, you didn't know if Sean was going to make love to her or kill her. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm not a killer. I'm a lover. And that's how I would play James Bond. Nice. And what's your favorite film? Oh, yes. Uh, From Russia With Love. From Russia with Love. It's it's been From Russia with Love for a long, long time, which yeah. is interesting because that's one of the ones you've watched. So we'll be talking about that. Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, well, first, I will say I am like I said, I'm glad I did this. And there are a lot of movies in this franchise. I've now seen eight of them, so I've got sixteen to go. I do want to catch up on them. You know, I didn't think I would. Uh, feel that way but i do uh i do want and maybe they're not going to be all as good as the ones you recommended to me but uh, i am definitely interested in catching up over time i don't think i'm going to like binge them back to back to back but i'm going to try to do it i'm going to try to catch up oh and one last thing i realized about the bond franchise let me know what you think of this is uh 
This is the original Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> yeah, you have to. <laughs> okay, well, you have to explain. I, you do? Okay, explain yourselves, gentlemen. I, I feel like uh, you know it's over the top, in it like so ridiculous and silly that it kind of works. I mean, not all of them. Obviously, the newer ones don't go that route. And from Russia with Love doesn't really do that. But it's like these over the top characters that. Are, like Bond is almost a superhero. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I just kind of, especially when I was watching Goldeneye, maybe the, the Pierce Brosnan era, especially, is like I can see Fast and Furious taking, you know, some of their quote unquote well, charm is, from Bond. I, I enjoy the Bond movies much more than the Fast and Furious movies. But aren't there a couple of tank scenes in the Fast and Furious films? And there's a big tank scene. In the middle of a city, no less, in yeah. Goldeneye. So I, I can see where you're coming from on that. It's, I, I, will not, I, I will not disagree with that. That's true. Okay. Well, yeah, I would say that's, uh, I don't know, that's a low blow to the Bond series. Well, like I said, Bond, way better, way better. And yes. like Fast and Furious, they have has its fans. You know, people love the, that franchise, even if we don't necessarily. It has an Probably audience. Favorite ever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know. I don't think it... I don't mean it as an insult in that way, but yeah. uh, oh, none taken. I mean, uh, imitation is the best form of flattery. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, yeah. Let's get to from Russia with love. This was not I, not the first one I watched of this bunch, but it, it is in chronological order. I believe the second Bond movie after Doctor No. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I only know that because they referenced Doctor No in the movie, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this just uh, refresh my memory on the plot of the movie. Well, um, the villainous organization by the name of Spectre, uh, who is briefly mentioned in Doctor No, uh, wants to do accomplish two things. They want to avenge the death of Doctor No, who was killed by James Bond, and they want to disturb the. Uh, web of spies that the British have and they'll do this in an extremely convoluted way that will embarrass them and they'll make it public so they hire an unsuspecting Soviet uh, clerk in Istanbul Uh, she's hired by Spectre although she doesn't know she's being hired by Spectre and she makes it quite clear to the British that well I have this special spy code language thingamajig device I'm willing to give it to you if you send James Bond to Istanbul because I've fallen in love with him and the British are like, this broad talking about? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> oh, it's definitely crazy. But she has this machine and we want it. So you're going to go over there. So it's basically <laughs> a story of uh, this Russian uh, cipher clerk and James Bond, I guess, falling, falling in love. But what the fun part is the audience has seen Spectre plan their trap so we know bond is walking into the trap the fun is well how's he going to get out of it because we know what's coming bond doesn't so we are in that sense one step ahead but we want to see how he's going to get out of it. and there's a gypsy fight for no reason um there's a great train sequence yes. the um robert shaw who most people know for jaws uh, the not <laughs> the, the steven spielberg's jaws he's yeah, the yeah. craggy uh, drunk old guy uh, a very much younger version of Robert Shaw plays a Spectre assassin in this. And, and he's great. Uh, he's great. 
he's yeah he's quite something else so that's that's generally the plot of from russia with love yeah i love the train stuff that was really good i said that part you could just call murders on the orient express yeah that's true it's very true (laughs) but uh i i really liked uh the opening of the movie felt like it really set the stakes and establishes specter as a real threat and where it I don't know if I'm reading this correctly, but they have someone in like a Bond <laughs> advanced mask, almost like Mission Impossible. And you think it's Bond and Robert Shaw's character kills him and then they take the mask off. And I thought that was good. Like, was that their own guy that they were getting to play Bond and they're willing to kill their own man just to... Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. a, there's a joke later in the film when the, the, the uh, old lady, Rosa Klebb, arrives at that training compound and she says, oh, yes, practice is useful. And the other guy says, oh, yeah, oh, but no, she says practice is useful, but there's nothing like the real thing. And he says, oh, yeah, we, lo- we use live targets as well. I think right. that's supposed to be a reference yeah. to the pre-title sequence. Yeah, and I love that scene as well when she's walking through and all the all the stuff going on, like flamethrowers and yeah, that this movie's great. This is uh, my second favorite Bond movie of all time, of the eight I've seen. Uh, Casino Royale will always hold a special place in my heart as the first Bond movie I saw, and I haven't rewatched it in a while, but I mean, I remember loving that movie. But uh, this is right up there. Uh, this is so good. Sean Connery, he's, he's great. He's great. Uh, I would say Daniel Craig is my Bond just because, you know, my history with the thing. But Sean Connery is right up there. He's Even if his his Irish or Scottish accent really slips out a lot, he's not the greatest at doing the accent. But, uh, yeah, it was great. Great action set pieces, solid plot, uh, great opening credits of just gyrating women with words all over them. Not sure, That's great. Not sure what that was about, but... Uh, I like them apples. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I love the movie. Um, Brooks. Has, uh, Brooks, have you seen this one? I have not, no. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I, I think it's, it's worth giving it a, a spin. This is, this is as, as uh, Bob establishes, the second one in the series, and it's, it's just before they have the formula down pat. So, like, it, it's getting warmer. They're getting there. It's kind of sort of there in Dr. No. It's a little bit more there in From Russia With Love than it really gets there in Goldfinger. But I think why I love From Russia With Love so much, it's it's one of the few films in the franchise that feels like a spy movie more so than an action-adventure film. The action is pretty much relegated to the final 20 minutes. Um, And before then, it's a lot of cloak and dagger. It's a lot of sneaking about. It's a lot of seduction. It's a lot of exoticism. uh, It's a lot of... uh, like cloak and dagger, I already used the term, and and I think that's why I love it so much. I like it. It's a rare glimpse into James Bond doing spy work as opposed to blowing stuff up. Although I obviously love that too. So the, there's something. It's very Cold War because Spectre is playing East versus West. They're sort of like puppet masters. So I I like the Cold War setting, Istanbul, a beautiful city. And I, I've always been in love with trains. I like taking train rides. They're my favorite mode of transportation. And the whole sequence on the, uh, on the Orient Express is, I agree, 
fantastic. And it also has my favorite ally in the franchise. Uh, I know you, you guys haven't seen all of them, but uh, Kerem Bey, who is MI6's contact in, in uh, Turkey, um, that's sort of a recurring thing throughout mm. the franchise, like the slightly older, bearded, or mustachoid ally who's going to help Bond out. Like, Bob, you maybe remember there's the um, uh, Mathis in uh, Casino Royale, the little bearded guy who yes. we think might... That's, like, Karen Bay is like the first version of that. They always Got have it. a little bit of facial hair. They're always a little bit older. <laughs> and they always have a joie de vivre about them. And that character comes... Not not Karen Bay, because unfortunately he gets he gets the axe, but <laughs> that that sort of character shows up like five or six times in the franchise. And yeah. I always love that kind of a character. And Karen is Karen's my favorite. Yeah, he's great. He's great. And I especially love the part when uh Bond like I guess gives the bad news to his son. I like how he says, Oh, he there were twelve men, he killed the first eleven on his own or something like that. Like really hyping him up, his abilities up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And for some reason, like a train is a great setting for a movie. For some reason, that really works cinematically. Like strangers well, got, on a train, you yeah. got so many like iconic scenes take place on a train. Yeah, and uh, it's it's you got many compartments. That fight is in a very in, enclosed space. It's mm-hmm. a very tight area, so there's great editing going on there. That's that fight between Bond and and Red Grant, who's Robert Shaw's character. That's like a it's a pretty decent example of, of early fast cutting. It's nowhere near as fast cut cutting as as today, but it's sort of heading down that that path where oh crap like we we have to augment we have to heighten the senses and the danger by chopping this up although because it's so many years ago and they're sort of experimenting with it it's it's still it's still comprehensible unlike some movies today mm-hmm. yeah this uh this one also debuts desmond llewellyn as a q even i remember him there you go absolutely he's a little more reserved in this one he he they haven't really found out what they're going to do with that character uh but he is there he is there yeah great uh great uh, gadget by the way the attache case love that stuff. yes that was good <laughs> what was i gonna say um i think james bond really needs to be the next bachelor because he needs to find just one woman to settle down with there's a movie i can suggest for you there's a movie i can i i if whenever you have the time and brooks this applies to you as well i will suggest on her majesty's secret service okay uh, the only bond starring australian actor george lazenby whose english accent is not half bad um on her majesty's secret service that's all i'll say in response to what you just said all righty yeah and brooks i do think you would love from russia with love uh yeah i would definitely have to check it out be uh yeah maybe i watched on a rainy day i just Never seem to have the time to sit down and watch a movie. And when I do, I always fall asleep. But I would uh, have to give this my full attention. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll give it a heavy eight and a half, borderline nine out of ten. Wow, that's three. That's I'm man. You. This is just this is like the best episode of <laughs> failing to. We are not failing to communicate tonight, folks. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, next up was actually the next movie in succession, Goldfinger. Yeah. Um, this one is a little more over the top. Um, yeah, it's Goldfinger is the villain, correct? Um, yes. 
very uh, iconic. Goldfinger is an industrialist. He makes his money uh, producing. Uh, he's a gold manufacturer, gold bar manufacturer, and he apparently is smuggling his gold out of England uh, into the United States. No one seems to know why. And obviously, the Bank of England is like, "Hey, what WTF? We got to find out what's going on." So they send. Uh, James Bond in to investigate. Who else would they send in to investigate that kind of a thing? <laughs> and so there's this great rivalry p- throughout the film between Goldfinger and Bond. Uh, this is also one of the first movies where we start seeing the female sacrificial lambs. <laughs> right. Uh, that, what, what are called the first and second act Bond girls because <laughs> they're not going to be there anymore in the third act. And uh, of course, one of the greatest named characters of, of, of all time in, in, in Pussy Galore. Um, <laughs> it's, it's quite something else. This is the first one with a, with a, with a, a pimped out car. Uh, this is the first one that really goes for humor. Uh, this is the first one with like a, an over-the-top villain. And it's the first one where the names of the characters are I mean, you're not even winking at the audience anymore. You're basically shouting, her name is Pussy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah could you imagine? Yeah. So, somebody dies because she's painted in gold. Like, come on, people. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, though. I did enjoy this movie. This would probably be my second favorite of the ones uh, that I watched. I think it... It steadily went down a little bit each time for me, but uh, interesting. I like the opening where he's got like uh, a duck on his head and he's in the pond. Like, come on, that's amazing. Uh, I like the the scene. I re- I really like the way the the movie opened uh, with he's like sneaks into Goldfinger's apartment, I guess, and he's using the bana the telescope to figure out how he's cheating at this yeah. game of. Uh, is it chess? Is it what are they playing? Uh, it's uh, Jim Rummy, I think. Right, right. That's right. Yeah, and uh, and then the first sacrificial lamb comes in, right? <laughs> and yeah, Joe Joe Masterson. I'm beginning to like you, Mister Bond. <laughs> and he, Bond does absolutely nothing to ju- to like. I don't like. She just throws herself at him for what reason? I don't know. It's like he didn't even make a move. Nothing. But what are you gonna do? And uh, I like Goldfinger as a villain. That he is like, uh, he must be one of the most iconic villains in the franchise. He, he is, and it's 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 one of those funny things. Where you're like, well, what makes him so iconic? He's 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 overweight. He's not particularly charming. Uh, he's not trying to take over the world. And I think, and I'm not the only one to have said this. I think it's the contrast. Between him mm-hmm. and Bond, Goldfinger yeah, is so is. rich. He has he has everything at his fingertips, but he has to buy everything. You know, he he bought Joe Masterson. Joe Masterson doesn't like him. He bought Joe Masterson. Bond does everything effortlessly. So it's that it's that tit for tat uh, <laughs> between them. You know, I love Indeed. that moment. You know, where they play golf uh, and and uh, he after the match. Goldfinger summons his his manservant Odd Job, which there, there's another first for you. It's the first like really weird 
weird, super weird mute henchmen. Yeah. There are a lot of those. And Oddjob throws his rim, uh, his uh, uh, steel rimmed hat. Like, come on, guys. Um, and destroys a statue. And Bond says, oh, what would the club owner say about this? And Goldfinger, I believe, while picking his nose, oh, nothing. I own the club. You know, he's always demonstrating that power. Uh, but Bond, you know, you can't you can't intimidate Bond like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has some gravitas to him, Goldfinger. But I also liked Ajab as well. Uh, I remember him only from Goldeneye, the, the video game. He was a good character to play as because he was so small. It was a hard target to shoot. Uh, yeah, I don't know why they did that. He's not really not that small in the movie. Yeah, he's not. But uh, I liked his character. He was fun. He was a fun henchman villain. Uh, there was like some good fisticuffs going on there. But And Pussy Galore, you know, yeah, yeah, the name is kind of retarded. But uh, she's – that's kind of another first in the franchise. She's – really well honor blackman was was an extraordinary actress i've always been a huge honor blackman fan but the character herself is like she's sort of the the, the leader of this own uh, circus uh, these uh, pilots uh, or plane circus if you will like she's got her own business she's doing her own thing she's predominantly doing things on her own terms like you didn't see a whole lot of that back then in movies so yes she you know turns the leaf and she makes out with, with Bond and, and because Bond sort of kind of rapes her in that barn scene. That's, yeah. that's not a particularly good scene. Not great. Uh, <laughs> but still, on the yeah. whole, that's a really strong character. And, and people that don't like the James Bond movies, either they haven't seen the ones with those characters, and unfortunately, you know, not all the movies have characters like that, or I don't know, they just don't oh, those are the exceptions and not the rule. Well, yeah, there, there's a few Bond films that have characters like Pussy Galore. So, and, and I love them. I, I love, love, love Pussy Galore. I love Pussy. What can I say? <laughs> so what you're telling me is Pussy Galore is a feminist. Uh, is she a feminist? <laughs> I, just think I, I, I just think she's her the own name. thing. No. <laughs> I think she, she's – you know, there's a great moment uh, before – Operation Grand Slam uh, takes place, and and she and, and Goldfinger are sharing a mint julep, I think. And he says, "Oh, what are you going to do with with your earnings?" And I'm going to buy myself in my own private little island, uh, and there'll be a sign: no trespassing. Like she's just she's just going to do her own thing. Mm-hmm. No, she is a great character. You're right about that. I enjoyed her character. I do think, though, the part where it lost me in this movie is when they get to the farm or the barn or that whole section where he's kind of just, you know, forcing himself on her. Well, that, but (laughs) for sure, but just like it kind of, I feel like the movie kind of slowed to a crawl where bond is helpless. He can't really be the superhero that he is, right? He's kind of rendered defenseless for a while. And while I do love scenes at farms, like teenage mutant Ninja turtles, that's amazing when they go to the farm Great scene. It <laughs> didn't, didn't work as well for me in this movie, but I did have a lot of fun overall. I would give it a 7.5 out of 10. Nice. Very nice. Brooks, have you seen this one? I have not. Another one I have not. Oh, Another boy. one you should have. You're in, you're in for some good stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right, next up, <clears throat> Roger Moore gets in on this. He's in The Spy Who Loved Me, which... um. 
you're going to have to do the plot thing again. <laughs> These plots are so uh, a little yeah. convoluted. But... This is when things get a little difficult, even for someone that's seen this movie a dozen times. So <laughs> essentially, there are uh, British uh, submarines, actual full-sized submarines that are disappearing. And there is a new villain operating behind the scenes by the name of Carl Stromberg. And like a lot of villains in these in these Bond movies, these are megalomaniacal characters that have actual le- legitimate businesses as a front. I think it's called the Stromberg Shipping Lines. So he makes his money off of that, but what he really wants to do is to destroy the world uh, by launching two nuclear missiles, one onto Russia and another one onto the United States, and in the nuclear nu- nuclear fallout, uh, he's going to uh, rebirth civilization under ocean, which is why he's made a gigantic undersea city called Atlantis <laughs> and enter James Bond uh, to investigate this nefarious Stromberg character. And uh, there's a little bit of detente between the British and the Russians. James Bond has to work with the female Russian equivalent, Anya Amasova, better known as Agent Triple X. And, of course, they (laughs) fall in love, but there's a little bit of tension because in the pre-title sequence, Bond, without knowing it, murders her lover. So that creates some very interesting tension uh, later on in the film. And it is also the introduction of uh, a lot of people's favorite henchmen, Jaws. Yep. Nice. Yeah, and um, yeah, this one was good. I enjoyed this movie as well. I I really got like uh, I could see where future movies and franchises got some um, got some inspiration from the Spy Who Loved Me. I feel like Mission Impossible Rogue Nation has a lot to thank for this movie, or <laughs> vice versa. I feel like the relationship between Bond and the Russian spy is kind of similar to Ethan Hunt and um, Rebecca Ferguson's character in that. Yes, the good point. I have, I need to rewatch that one. I only saw it once. Yeah, I enjoyed it, uh, and I also feel like Spectre, the recent Bond movie, the train fight with um, Dave Bautista's character and Daniel Craig reminded me of Jaws and uh, Roger Moore in this one. Yeah, I will. Jaws and, and Roger Moore move a little slower than Dave Bautista <laughs> yeah, and Daniel Craig, sure. but I see your point, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brooks, why do you love Jaws? I don't know. I think it was just uh, being a young kid, seeing him uh, in the movies. You know, he'd always bend the bars with his mouth. And uh, really, I think it, I've said this a lot, but it goes back to the video game. He was my favorite character to play in multiplayer. Even though um, he was kind of, <laughs> he's the opposite he, of odd job, he's he a giant. Yeah, he's so tall, he's so hard, he's so easy to hit. But, yeah. uh, I don't know. I thought like the uh, one of the last scenes on the submarine here, uh, Bond and Chowder's Jaws, uh, really like that. I haven't seen this in years, but um, I think it's just like a something about him. I always I just fell in love with him as a kid. Uh, well, he's, he's visually very yeah interesting because he's he's so the actor who played him Richard Keel who I think passed away a couple years ago uh, he, he's so gigantic and you have those steel teeth 
which is quite a, a visually striking image. And un- unlike in, in Moonraker, uh, Brooks, which you mentioned earlier, because the character does come back in Moonraker, uh, where he's played maybe a little bit more comedically, yeah. Some of these early scenes in The Spy Who Loved Me, like, Jaws is kind of a scary dude. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah. Despite the fact that he slowly, slowly goes into the kill to bite the neck where you'd think the guy would have time to escape, but apparently not. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kaisen's no. character is so strong and overpowering, I guess you could say. Oh, absolutely. And although I don't understand the scene, like, how long was he hiding in the Russian <laughs> agent's closet? Like, how long were you, how long were you there, bro? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is interesting that you pointed that out. Uh, yeah, he, he is a, a good villain, though. He's got, especially, I'm sure, for the time, he was probably a pretty original character. Um, I can just picture Michael Shannon playing jaws if they redid that <laughs> yeah. character now right <laughs> like yeah but michael shannon is a great he has a great voice he, he jaws doesn't talk yeah so. that's yeah exactly that now, guy. it might be the same actor but uh the big construction guy in happy gilmore he gets the nail driven in his head it's gotta I be think him that is him yeah i think that is him. yeah, yeah that's gotta be yeah, yeah. but uh yeah i guess that would be wasting michael shannon rumors rumors as if you were putting him in a Superman movie as a villain. Yeah. So yeah. Now, now we were talking about our first Roger Moore film. So we've gone through Sean. Now we're talking about Roger. Even though they're ostensibly supposed to be the same character, we're starting to see these differences in the interpretation. Yes. Uh, Roger definitely has a later touch. For sure. Roger is definitely he's the oh the, the the perfect English gentleman. That's what Roger Moore is. That's not really what Sean is. Yeah, exactly. And I do prefer Sean Connery, but Roger Moore is good as well at doing his own thing. Uh, he definitely had more one-liners. It felt like like uh, it just seemed unless that's kind of just where the franchise had gone to. By that point, we're jumping ahead a few films here, but. Just seemed like it was one liner after one liner after one liner, but I do like the lighter tone. I do like the, the 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 style he brings to the character. He he is definitely good at it. I I just felt like the movie, and I guess there's kind of like a hunt for Red October vibe as well going on with the submarines. Mm. I feel like the movie was a little all over the place. Um, I, I don't know. I just some never some of them are some of them are and. That- I would just get invested for stretches and then kind of lose interest for a while until I got invested again for a while. Like I especially, I my favorite parts were when him and, and the Russian chick were like doing their thing together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They they spent a lot of time in in Stromberg's uh, like mega submarine at the end. Mm-hmm. Like that's a long, long yeah. climax. It felt a little long. I don't know how long it was, but it kind of dragged on for me. But still, a pretty good movie. A little-known fact, well, well, not within the Bond fan community, but, uh, you know, that's obviously a real set. There's no CGI, so that big Stromberg's major uh, sort of uh, monster submarine is a, is a real set. And it was so huge that they they really had to work hard to light it properly because, uh, you know, otherwise it's, it's just going to be a cavern. 
and uh, none other than uh, he was only there for a couple of hours, but he gave some pointers about how they how he thought they should light it. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was on set for a day oh, and wow. helped the cinematographer light it. Yeah, so Stanley Kubrick wow. worked on a James Bond movie. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. It's not the Fast and Furious. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> this is the way above that. No. Yeah. I would give uh, The Spy Who Loved Me 7 out of 10. Solid 7 out of 10. It's yeah. I have to agree with that. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But uh, like I said, it's got my favorite feeling. It's a debut performance. So if, I would have to agree with that. If, uh, if you pay close attention to the to the title sequence uh there's a little bit of little bit of nip in there oh little, yeah oh yeah oh yeah all right i'll rewatch it no. <laughs> yeah yeah these opening title sequences are interesting in these movies for sure okay yeah uh, moving on goldeneye your your movie brooks we're finally here we finally, <laughs> we finally get to talk about goldeneye pierce brosnan is doing something. What is it, Edgar? Tell us. <laughs> okay, so here's another convoluted one, like most of them are. Yeah. Uh, essentially, uh, there is this satellite, which for some reason not everybody's convinced actually exists, <laughs> called GoldenEye, which can destabilize something like computers when it's used. Yeah. <laughs> And essentially, the villain operating the GoldenEye satellite is a traitor from MI6, formerly 006, Alec Trevelyan, who uh, clandestinely goes under the name Yanis for the Yanis Syndicate. It's this, I guess, the modern specter, if you will. And so he and James Bond, played by Pierce Brosnan, have a past, which is actually showed in the pre-title sequence, where we see 006 be executed mm-hmm. kind of yeah uh we have a new m for the first time m is a woman played by judy dench uh she kept that role for a while too right she's kept it for a long time she kept it until skyfall yeah yeah which confused a lot of people because it's like well if casino is a reboot why is judy Gen- <laughs> why is judy dench back the answer to that question is because it's judy dench exactly yeah <laughs> One one thing you'll uh, and again you know having only seen a few of them you, you maybe haven't clued in on this or, or or you haven't seen enough to be able to clue in on this, other than for the r- ridiculous attempt in the Daniel Craig era continuity not important, not important. Yeah, I get. I kind of got that. <laughs> how is Sean Connery Pierce Brosnan? Those movies are thirty year parts. Stop asking stupid questions. Just go with it. <laughs> For sure. Uh, but there is another great uh, henchman slash woman, uh, Xenia Onatop. Onatop? Onatop. She basically kills people while having sex with them. She, <laughs> crushes, she crushes their lungs with her, thigh, with her uh, thighs. So what a way to go. If what you're going to go. Yeah, gonna go Xenia, you know. I can't breathe. Yeah. And then the scenery falls out stiff as a board. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> Some asphyxiation going on. Yeah. Famke Jensen, right? A little pleasure with playing, yeah, uh, not Rogue. What's her face? Jean Grey. Uh, Jean Grey. Yes. No, she's great. She's the best part of the movie by far, in my opinion. I don't think Pierce Brosnan is good 
as James Bond. Really? In Interesting. Oh, I, I need you and Brooks to talk now. <laughs> I, <laughs> don't, I don't buy it. I don't know. I don't buy it. I, I thought this, I mean, everything about this movie, like you said, the uh, scene at the factory, I guess you would say, the facility, um, they set the, t- uh, the time mines, I guess you would say they are, the general. Uh, proximity mines? Yeah, yeah. No, they were, I think they were timed. Oh, okay. Timelines, other timelines. Yeah. Might be. I, there's like, I, there's not a bad thing in this movie to me, and I think it, it might be a, some nostalgia. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, uh, Pierce Brosnan's just my my error of uh, James Bond. It's what I remember, and it's what like uh, just what I think of when I think of James Bond in this movie, especially. He's. I, I think he's really good in, in the role. Again, Brooks, you haven't seen the other Brosnans in a while, and, and, and Bob, you haven't seen them at all yet. I think he's really good. He's maybe just – he's playing it just a tiny bit safe, in the, just yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. You watch the next one, Tomorrow Never Dies, which on the whole I don't think is as good as Goldeneye, but Brosnan in Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough, he is fucking James Bond. I, he is living and breathing James Bond. Hmm. So, yeah, see, I think he definitely looks the part, clearly. I mean, he might look the most, if, you know, the most like James Bond, if we knew what James Bond looked like. I just feel like he doesn't fit the role, at least in this one. You know, I haven't seen the others, obviously, but it feels like he's trying a little too hard. Um, I don't know. I mean, I did like the the scene when he's... You know, whipping around in his car with his girl and a Famke Jansen, right? That's when she's driving. And what is it? He says, "I'm moving on to the next." Or, you know, he's he's all suave and cool, and yeah, I don't know. Sleeps with a gun under his pillow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't. It's just all a little over the top. I like Sean Bean as 006. It's pretty cool to see Ned Stark die in another movie. <laughs> but um, I, I, he, the, Alec, Alec Trevelyan is one of my favorite villains, and it's funny they they kind of do the same thing in Skyfall, even though uh, Javier yeah, Bardem and Daniel Craig don't know each other. But Javier Bardem is playing a former MI6 spy. But but the the uh, that personal tension between the two characters in Goldeneye, I think, in large part, really makes the film I, that's one of my favorite aspects of the movie one of my least favorite aspects is actually the music not the title uh, song it's great but the title like song the, is uh, good yeah but the like the the scene you were talking about at the start whether he's racing against <laughs> jensen it's like yeah it's like what the hell is this <laughs> yeah i guess yeah that's true with pierce brosnan i just kept expecting um you know Mrs. Doubtfire to come throw water in his face or I guess I couldn't get the smarmy new husband from Mrs. Doubtfire out of my head when I'm watching wow. it. <laughs> that is the first time I've ever heard that as the reason why they don't think, but I mean, Hey, if, 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 if that's what you feel, you can't, you can't help that. No, but, uh, it's very unique. It's a very unique way of saying why he's not a good James Bond. Yeah. I don't know. I did. My favorite part of the movie though, is the, sexy fight between him and Fabka Jansen later on in the movie 
Remind, oh, Asana? Yeah, reminded me of three the 300 sequel, Rise of an Empire. Like, the only good part from that movie when, um, God, what is her name? Eva Green. Eva Green, yeah. And the, and the main character, they kind of do the same thing except naked. And uh seems like they could, uh, they took it straight from this movie because that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I love that scene. I, no, no, no. No more foreplay. <laughs> and Boris, um, I guess he's kind of a villain. Uh, you know, the scene, I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah. I, by the way, that actually reminds me. I like the Bond girl in this one, too. She They, they dress her down a little bit. But uh, I think she's really kind of interesting. I, I She's definitely different. She's... I, yeah, I think she's absolutely stunning. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of that actress when she's like not dressed down and she's oh, like not going at a gala. Like, wow. Uh, Isabella Skorupko, I think her name is. Holy smokes. But uh, I kind of like her spunk. She's got gumption. I, I like that about her. You know, she's uh, the scene where uh, they're in the, uh, the, the, the the train and they're locked in and the bomb is going to go off and she just yeah. turns the bomb. Well, don't just stand there. Get us out of here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I enjoy like this one was kind of this is the movie where I made the Fast and Furious comparison that, you know, it was silly, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was an easy watch. Actually, it was an easier watch than The Spy Who Loved Me, even though I think The Spy Who Loved Me is definitely a better film. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had a good time with it. I didn't hate it. I, I- just... Uh, didn't hate wasn't great uh, to quote like <laughs> Dax Gordine from Film Junk Podcast. The Cradle is a great set piece and a great way that it ends. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, I would give it a six and a half out of ten. <laughs> Being Brooks, rough, uh, Brooks, I would have to give it a nine. Oh, Brooks is nine and a half. All right. Oh, <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, right, since I've only seen eight of these Bond movies, I'll give my rankings. I have it up on Letterboxd. Number one, Casino Royale. Number two, From Russia with Love. Number three, Skyfall. Number four, Goldfinger. Number five, Spectre. Number six, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number seven, GoldenEye. And number eight, Quantum of Solace. Wow, Spectre in front of the spy who loved me. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's it's close. I, I, lo- I, love, I love it when people give different opinions like that. Not many people would say that, but that's interesting. Okay. It's close. I mean, I just love a lot of stuff from Spectre visually, like the opening scene with the Dio de los Muertos. I love that train fight. I don't know. I think Spectre's a little underrated. Oh, I like it. I, I've always liked it. I, I just... Spectre is an extremely frustrating movie. I'm so with that movie for about an hour mm-hmm. yes. and a half, an hour 45. And the last half hour just shits the bed. It does. It's like, it truly does. Oh, you were almost there. You were heading to the finish line. And you go like the first three quarters of your race are great. And uh, uh, you just couldn't stick the landing. Yeah. I, I For a while, I thought oh, this is better than Skyfall. Oh. Nope, no, it's not. <laughs> right? No, no, it's not. But I, I do like Spectre. I don't. I've never disliked it. To this day, I still don't like it. But I, I, I want to love it. But those that those final twenty thirty minutes, just no, you can't love this movie because they're stupid. Those yeah, last thirty it's minutes. It's true. It's true. And maybe if I rewatched it, I might, you know, shift it down a little bit. But on first view, one viewing, that's where I had it. 
okay, before we get into what else we watch, I wanted to do one little exercise where, you know, we know we're getting one more Bond movie, right? Bond 25. When is that coming out? 2019? 2019. Although there's no director, no international distributor, we can't seem to figure out who's writing. I don't know. I'm starting to have doubts. Yeah, that's interesting. You would think they would kind of... <laughs> I don't know, pull uh, Star Wars and kind of start putting these out more often, maybe some spin-offs, some, you know, it makes money mm. for them. Maybe they could expand the universe, but I don't know. Maybe that would ruin what, they're, what they've got going on. But I am looking forward to Bond 25, but we know in Bond 26, it's going to be a whole new ballgame. Essentially, we're going to get yet another reboot, as far as I know. That's the plan. I don't know about reboot, but but you know, a shifting uh, of the yeah, it'll yeah. be you know it'll be you know Roger Moore taking over from Sean Connery. Yeah, it's like yeah. same character, but you know whatever, it's a different actor. You know. So I wanted to put our production hats on and uh, see what each of us could come up with as far as director, cast, maybe even plot. I don't know. I don't know if I got that far, but. Uh, I think it could I, be. I got your I got your messenger message at like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock this morning. I have my entire cast. I have my director. I have a plot outline. I have the band that's going to sing my title song. <laughs> nice, that's that's on oh. fire. You're farther along than the Bond <laughs> writers themselves on the next movie. Yes. Yep. So uh, all right then, let's let's start it off with Mr. Bond himself. You 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 could play. Are you casting yourself in as Bond? In this? <laughs> My English accent isn't good enough. <laughs> so how are we going to do this? Are we going to go like character by character around the table? Let's just uh, do uh, the whole shebang one at a time. Give the whole, whole shebang one at a time. Sell me. Okay. Uh, well, my movie is called The Dawn Cracker. <laughs> uh, my James Bond, uh, we're, we're casting, I've been saying this for a few years, I'm sticking with my guns, I'm casting Dan Stevens. I gotta go Dan Stevens. I like it. I like it a lot. Ever since I saw him in The Guests, like, he is a killer, he's great looking, he's smooth, he's witty, and he's a killer. Yeah, yes. The Guest. The Guest is so good. When Bond enters M's office, the actor sitting behind the desk is Sir Ben Kingsley. Nice. Uh, of course, before entering M's office, there's always a little bit of foreplay with <laughs> Money Penny. Now, Money Penny, I have my actress. I don't think it's somebody a lot of people know. There was a show that aired on Netflix last summer, which I didn't finish because I didn't think it was particularly good. Uh, it was called Gypsy. Oh yes. And there was this actress who is. British, although she's playing American in it, called Mel Melanie LeBert. Is she the, so, the bartender? She's not the bartender. She is the one trying to get in... Well, I don't know if she succeeded. I never finished it. But <laughs> she's trying to get in bed with Naomi Watts' husband. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, you know, we do have a black money penny now. So if you want to continue down that road, I would cast Melanie LeBert. She's been in a few science fiction shows as well. I think she's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, she is. And she, is. And she has a uh, sweet little British accent, as I've seen in interviews. So she's money penny. Great casting. Uh, after the M scene, well, you got to go get your gadgets. Uh, my Q, Q, we're really changing things up a bit. Now, 
maybe I don't think I'm thinking outside the box because I can see this act actress. I'm sure we're changing sex. My cue is I'm going to butcher her name. Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Yes, from who's, uh, she's she's in that. I haven't seen it, but that apparently that fucking terrible uh, Cloverfield, Cloverfield film. But I've seen yeah. her in a few other things. I've seen her in the movie where she plays. Uh, like there was this big thing back in England a few hundred years ago where she was like the inspiration for a painting in England. I don't know. I can't remember what the name of the movie she's was. She's in San Junipero, my favorite episode of Black Mirror, and she's brilliant in it. So. She's also, uh, and I don't know, you put a lab coat, I don't know, she's absolutely gorgeous, but put a lab coat on her and glasses, I don't know, I think I think that's my cue. I buy it. <laughs> yep. Um, my villain is uh, a patron of the arts who's, ma- who, she's masquerading as a patron of the arts for, for Great Britain, but she's actually a Spectre agent, Lady A, she's played by Tilda Swinton. All right, nice, nice. Uh, she has not one but two personal guards, a right-hand man and a left-hand man. Her right-hand man is everybody's wannabe James Bond, Idris Elba, and her left-hand man is Tom Hardy. So we got, like, two Jawses in this movie. Nice, right? Um, we have a uh, first-act sacrificial lamb. Uh, I'm casting Rose Byrne as oh, okay. uh, she's she Bond goes to Peru in the first act. This is where the sacrificial her name is Ah first name Ah last name Sukar Asukar, which is Spanish for for sugar. Um, my Peruvian contact is Damien Bashir. Nice. He's Mexican, but whatever the fuck. <laughs> um, there is. There's there's a CIA agent that comes back every once in a while in the Bond films. He's played by Jeffrey Wright in the in the Daniel Craig movies. He's played by a fuddy duddy guy in Goldfinger. Uh, but I'm recasting him, and in my mind, there is only one actor that's going to play CIA agent CIA agent Felix Slater, and that's Chris Pine. Um, and my Bond, uh, my Bond girl, my leading lady is an Interpol agent by the name of. Karen Assets, because she's carrying some assets, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and she she is played. They killed her off in Kingsman, the Golden Circle. So I'm hiring her. It's Sophie Cookson. I love Sophie Cookson. I think she is the bee's knee. She's a peach. <laughs> love it. My directors are, you know what? The John Wick films, very fun. Lots of, Ooh, nut, lots of fun, but... Chad Stahelski and David Leach, I'm giving you a big budget. You're directing Bond 26. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Uh, I guess I'll take uh, take over here. Yeah, take over because I'm still. I didn't do enough. I'm still. I'm still working on my script here. Yeah. Well, I don't have a plot nor a name. Um, yeah, I don't have. But that. I do have a solid cast lined up here. I'll start off with my director. Um, I'm going to go with Martin Scorsese. Well, that would be interesting. Oof. That's a good get. I think that would be incredible. It'd add a nice flair uh, to the series. Um, but my Bond, I've got two candidates here. My um, first one, you named yourself, Edgar. Uh, Tom Hardy as my Bond. Could, Interesting. Yeah, I think he would be a good villain, as you said, but also I think maybe he could do a, a good Bond. And secondly, 
an Australian Hugh Jackman. Um, I think he maybe can do so, a good part. So this is, is this is this a, a, a one off or are we casting him for the long term? Because I'm I'm thinking long term. Dan Stevens, early mid thirties, you know, yeah. early to mid thirties. I think Melina Labert is barely in her thirties. So well, Sophie Cookson, she she wouldn't be coming back. But you know, I'm Chris Pine. He can play Felix Slater for another three or four movies. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Hugh Jackman's that old or too old to do it for at least a few movies. I also had a, a, a honorable mention, I guess you would say, is Jordan. Uh, Joseph Gordon Lovett. I don't know how good his British accent is, but oh, that is thinking outside the box, my friend. I'm swooning. Yeah, yeah. I love JGM. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, my Bond girl or girls uh, first up, up with it. I think she would be an incredible Bond girl, um, Gal Gadot. I think <sighs> she would be. This movie's going to be expensive. Yeah, well, it's a big Bond movie here, man. But I'm here for it. <laughs> so you you can lowball Sophie Cookson. I I can save her money by carrying Sophie Cookson. Like she needs the exposure. I want to give her the exposure, and she's not she, Gal Gadot. She, Gal Gadot is going to cost more than Bond. Yeah, well, it's got to be big. Uh, I had an honorable mention also there, or second Bond girl, Blake Lively. Uh, I feel like she would play a character as a Bond girl pretty well. Yeah, I can she's, see that. She's, she's drunk and gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. but she's got to, like, her first scene, she has to come in on a surfboard, like, in the shallows. Yeah. <laughs> and my villain, which I think really tops it off, it's a cherry on the top. <laughs> Christoph Waltz. Again. <laughs> he's been a villain in a Bond movie? <laughs> <laughs> you, he's I villain. forgot. He's, he's uh, Blofeld in the uh, Spectre. That was the thing, I haven't seen Spectre. See? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but uh, I also had Michael Shannon down, but I you already had mentioned that earlier. Um, so <laughs> was... we'll, we'll, we'll recast Christoph Waltz. We'll they can pretend do he didn't play the villain inspector, and we'll give him a better role. Yeah, see somebody, somebody great minds think alike. So. <laughs> so, look, that's how perfect he was to, for her as a Bond villain. You know, just yeah. his style. You know, his. Uh, his whole uh, inglorious bastardsness, his persona. Yeah, yeah. So good call. We look. Judy Dench stayed from a uh, one version to another. Why can't Christoph Waltz? Well, why not? What's that? <laughs> I said, did he get killed off? Well, I uh, know they they arrest him of all things. Oh, Oh, you yeah, remember you a few minutes ago yeah. when I said the last 20 minutes of Spectre are stupid? <laughs> they arrest Christoph Waltz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <clears throat> so, Damn, I really thought that was like my big thing there. <laughs> you, were, you were coming in <laughs> with your closing argument. It's like, uh, uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, <laughs> 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 this is plagiarism. Uh, all right. So I'm going to be a little more predictable in some instances here i'm getting the long rumored christopher nolan to direct my film mm. uh he has such bondy openings to his batman movies dark knight rises on the plane uh the dark knight the uh well, that's more of a heat ripoff but you know he he's clearly a bond fan 
he's clearly inspired by James Bond. And I'm not, he's not going to be able to direct Bond. I'm not giving it to him unless he can bring Wally Pfister back into the fold to shoot the movie for him. Oh, you got a cinematographer. Yeah, I got a cinematographer. We're still looking for one. <laughs> you might get Deacons. He's he's available. That would be nice. Um, my theme song will be written by none other than Noel Gallagher, of course. He's been dying to get in on that action. I feel like I'm surprised he hasn't. Yeah, it's true. Like his. Uh, one of his songs from his new album is Clear as Day, Bond theme written all over it. Like It's one of my favorite songs from the album, and it's it's amazing, and it, it would fit perfectly with the Bond movie. So I might as well just use that song, even. The Man Who Built the Moon will be our opening theme song. Uh, the movie cool. will be The Man Who Built the Moon. How about that one? Nice. Well, there is one called The Moonraker, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, haven't seen that one yet. So, I don't know. Uh, Bond will be Idris Elba. Of course. It's been long rumored. We need... We're going to have a black Bond before they have a black Bachelor on The Bachelor. <laughs> uh, Idris Elba, I do think he he's a little old now at this point for the part, but I feel like he, he could play younger. He, he, he doesn't look... Hold on. He doesn't look as I Google his age... <laughs> I think he's in his mid to late 40s yeah yeah he's 45 I think he can play younger than that he could be around for like 4 movies 4 or 5 movies I think he definitely looks in shape yeah speaking of people not looking their age guess how old Chadwick Boseman is somebody told me that the other day isn't he like in his early 40s or something crazy like that yeah he's 40 years old Holy shit. It looks like he's 27. I know. Exactly. My thoughts exactly. Anyway, back to my Bond movie. Uh, since Christopher Nolan is directing this movie, you know who's got to be in it. Michael Caine. <laughs> well, playing who? OQ? M. Oh. Right? I don't know. What's the difference between these letters? <laughs> uh, well, and he, he sort of plays an M in the first Kingsman, but he ends up being the bad guy. Then, yeah, M. He's going to be M. He's like the main man, right, M? Yeah. He, yeah. He's going to be uh, – to Idris Alba's Batman, he will be his Alfred. So, well, well. <laughs> uh, Money Penny will be played by Duna, Duna Bai from Cloud Atlas, um, oh, okay. the Asian actress. I've – I'm a big fan of hers. I think she, and I don't know, maybe she's working more in uh, Korea or or something, but I feel like she was a breakout star in Cloud Atlas and one other movie, I can't remember what it was from, that I originally saw her from, but haven't seen her since. And uh, I think she deserves some attention. And I'm putting her here. That's a good role to, to get a little bit of exposure. That's because that you're going to hire her again and again and again for like five or six movies. Right, right. Yeah, I really think she could pull it off. And my cue will be Dev Patel. Interesting. Yeah. That's not a bad choice. The gadget guy, correct? I feel like uh, eh, maybe... I can see that happening. I, I think Dev Patel, he's he's okay. He's, But this I think this is right up his alley. He's in... 
is what show is he in? Is he in Silicon Valley? I, I know mostly from his films, like uh, Slumdog Millionaire and yeah. a couple other ones. I haven't seen his TV work though. Yeah, I can't remember. Was it no? Maybe it was uh, the what was that? Uh, the newsroom. That's what I'm thinking of. He had a role in the newsroom. But yeah, I think he would be a good cue. Um, so moving on, my Bond girls. I think I just picked the two actresses I have the biggest crushes on at this point in time. So uh, I'm going with, for Bond girl number one, Anna de Armas, who... Oh, my God. The one from uh, Blade Runner? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. The Blade Runner 2049 uh, hologram girlfriend. She's amazing. Uh, (laughs) I just talked about her from Hands of Stone a couple weeks ago. And she was also easily the best part in that um, Jonah Hill, Miles Teller movie. Uh, I can't remember the title right now, but uh, she played the, the girlfriend in that. And she was really, really good. And she's really, really good looking. So I think she would be perfect for the, the first act Bond girl. She'll meet her demise at some point. And then uh, the other one will be Janelle Monet who she was uh in moonlight she was the the girlfriend that um mahershala ali's character is with in the first act if you remember interesting okay that's not bad actually she she was also in um the movie that was nominated for best picture last year about the the black women that worked at nasa oh yeah yeah. don't remember the title uh yeah i'm looking it up just to be sure uh of course it's not popping up <laughs> as quick as i wanted to uh, la, 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 da, 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 da. this is where i will edit a tiny bit hidden figures <laughs> hidden figures, hidden figures yeah. is yeah. the movie yeah i think she's a, she's a musician but she's also uh she's a pretty good actress in the little things she's been in and i think she looks wow so she hard. is absolutely dropped gorgeous yes absolutely Moving on to the villains, I did mention Michael Shannon earlier as a Jaws type, but I'm flipping it. I'm casting him as the 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 big villain, the one that's actually going to talk. He's going to be the the mastermind, Michael Shannon. Nice. I I don't know. I just feel like no one is casting him completely correctly lately. I feel like he's getting roles that don't accentuate his best assets as an actor. And I want to give him the chance to just chew on the scenery and be one of the best Bond villains there are. And his henchmen, uh, just because I had so much fun with From Russia With Love and I liked Oddjob, I'm going kind of similar here with a not necessarily a big-time actor, but Tony Ja. Um, oh, whoa, nice. I'm going with him as like the a different take, not the big lumbering henchman, but like more of a martial artist, small, quick, can do some crazy stunt work all on his own, and uh, he doesn't need to talk, so the acting skills don't need to be 100% there. That's not important at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's it. Uh, I don't know plot. We're still working on plot, but uh, I feel pretty good about my cast. It sounds good. 
Very good. What uh, good job all around, gentlemen. I'm, I think we have something interesting. I think my version is the best. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, yes. Yeah, I, I'll I'll clip this ten minute segment and send it to uh, Sony or whoever it is, <laughs> and uh, and tell them you know for a nominal fee they can use our ideas. Here's some inspiration. Now get working. <laughs> Make a movie. Exactly. Uh, we're running a little long here. I don't know if you want to get into what else we watched, if there's anything anybody has that's uh, important. I don't really have anything because I've been watching a lot of Bond this week. Yeah, I don't have much to add there either. Uh, so I just saw a couple of things. Phantom Thread, although we kind of talked about it earlier. And um, I saw Red Sparrow. Oh, I was hoping you had because it kind of, you know, continues this theme. I, you know, J-Lo getting my jello going <laughs> so I, I liked it I, I actually liked it a fair bit it's maybe a little bit uh disposable it was like barely a week ago and i can't say i remember everything that happened in it but but uh jennifer lawrence is is pretty darn good it's cold it's very calculating very violent i didn't know it was as violent as it was going to be it's pretty graphic at times actually really but you know just lots of uh lots of us Obviously, lots of espionage. You know, you, you never know where the plot is going to take you next. There's some surprises. It's enjoyable. Will I remember much about it a few months down the road? Maybe not, but I don't regret having seen it. It's entertaining. Nice. Yeah, from what I saw from the previews, it looked uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's a little long, though. A little long. That, that, that talk about movies that could shave off 15, 20 minutes, that, that, that one could have done that, actually. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing it. I heard some pretty mixed things, some people that enjoyed it greatly and some people that absolutely hated it. I know it's getting some attention as, like, Jennifer Lawrence's first nude scene in a movie. Um, That's quite an accomplishment. I was not the least bit titillated, but there is a lot of stripping down in this film. That That's uh, that's a very particular filmmaking style. But again, it, it is a cold, calculated right. film. So. It, it's not supposed to titillate you. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like uh, Atomic Blonde-esque, at least from the, the trailer I saw. I would say Atomic Blonde is a little bit more action-oriented. There's a, more of a sense of adventure to Atomic Blonde, whereas Red Sparrow is more your, your cloak and dagger type of film. Okay. Did you like Atomic Blonde? It was pretty fun. I liked it. Didn't yeah. love it, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I, kinda, I agree with that. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? No, just that in Phantom Thread. I haven't. Uh, the only other movies I watched was for the James Bond Complex recording last week. So you can download that in a month's time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Edgar, thank you so much for coming on and uh, participating in Failing to Communicate. It was a pleasure meeting you. It was a pleasure meeting you, Brooks. Uh, pleasure talking to you again, Bob. It's always a, a great pleasure being on the show. I would say. You know, I, I, I failing to communicate is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I wish you uh, luck with, with the program. I hope it's going well and it will continue to go well. And uh, I'll keep on plugging you guys uh, on social media. I'm yeah. always happy to do it. Absolutely. Always appreciate, always appreciate that. Uh, please, if you have any interest in Bond at all, and if you don't, why are you two and a half hours into this podcast? <laughs> uh, check out... The Bond com James Bond complex. It's uh it's really well done. I know just from having Edgar on here and listening to him on Sound on site, he knows what he's talking about. He's a great podcaster. Give those guys a look on iTunes. And we'll have to get you back in a couple weeks for our, a month and a half for the summer box office draft. 
Yeah, I think this is going to be more of a quick break before I'm back on again. But I, I always love the big, the big summer box office draft. It's it's one of my uh, it's one of my favorite episodes. Not just because I'm part of it, but because it, the event itself is is always a lot of fun. It's it's the highlight. Uh, it's a podcasting highlight of mine, and it's not even my show, so that says a lot. <laughs> nice, yeah. And next week we're going to do the Blade Runner Blade Runner twenty forty nine combo. And the week after that will be March Movie Madness, so plenty to look forward to over here. Yep. All right. Thank you so much, Edgar. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Okay. Now that he's gone, let's talk about what we came here for. No. (laughs) Really appreciate Edgar coming on. That was a lot of fun. But it's time now to turn our attention to the world of mixed martial arts. Let's talk about UFC 222, which went down this past Saturday in was Las Vegas, right? It was T-Mobile? Yep, yep. T-Mobile Arena, main evented by Cyborg Santos, or no, not Santos, Justino <laughs> against uh, Yana Kuniskaya and Frankie Edgar versus Brian Ortega. Those were the two main attractions. But overall, I thought it was a great night of fights. Yeah, definitely. Um, some crazy stuff went down, but... Definitely some good fights. Yeah, uh, completely, completely agree. I was pleasantly surprised. I went in expecting, you know, I'm here for Ortega versus Edgar. There's some fun fights along the way, as we talked about. But really, I mean, there's a lot of storylines here, a lot of young fighters breaking through, uh, and also a lot of split decisions, oddly. I'm looking at it now. There were five split decisions on this card. Yeah. That's pretty unusual. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is, and uh, I can't really say I disagree with too many of them. No, I think overall, actually, I think I agree with every single decision. Like, it's some of them I was shocked that they were even split decisions at all. Yeah. You know, but uh, I guess we can get into that when we get into those fights themselves. Let's talk about, all right, what would you rate this card overall out of 10? Um... A uh, heavy seven and a half, probably. Yeah, I think I'm pretty close to that. Maybe borderline eight. Just because... Eh, let's get into each fight on their own merits. Main event, Chris Cyborg defeats Yana Kuniskaya. Shockingly, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe she won. But uh, she beat her in the first round by knockout. Three minutes in, three and a half minutes in. And really, it's funny. Yana Kuniskaya, Invicta Bantamweight champion, on a moment's notice... I think she is actually already signed to the UFC, was going to make her debut um, at some one of these cards around this time. And then, you know, when time when the duty called and Max Hollywood was hurt and they needed a new main event, she stepped up to the plate and she said, eh, Cyborg doesn't really have any one-punch power. I can take her. And what do you know? Cyborg walks towards her throws one punch and levels her like look like she was going to be done in one punch clearly cyborg came out to prove yeah i kind of do have some power here yeah. and then kunitskaya grabbed her leg got a miracle takedown uh managed to clinch up for a while before the inevitable happened and i, I have no doubt that kunitskaya is a tough fighter and will be a decent fighter at her natural weight class of 135 but i mean this was just what 
the doctor ordered. This we we knew we got what we we knew we were going to get. Yeah, I think I was only about a minute off my prediction. <laughs> yeah, I think you said, I said half two and a half minutes or so. Yeah, and I was foolish. I believe I said it was going to go to the second or third round. Yeah. Stupid. Uh, it's pretty. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much par for the course. I would say. I don't know. I, I knew this was going to happen. It's just. Um, Tris Cyborg did this, and it was all her invicted fights, if not everyone. She's done it in most of her fights. The only person that's really given her a fight was Holly Holm, and still even she was flat. Hey, but, uh, don't uh, Tanya Evinger made her work for three rounds. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, it's just this is what you're going to get when you have you have a fighter in a non-existent division where literally the only 145-pound fights that have ever happened in the UFC are title fights. Like, this is just what's going to happen. It's tough for a girl. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a girl, a man, or a woman. It's just, it's tough for a woman to come in, make, and it seems like it's always UFC debut on the main event of a title fight against the the best fighter in women's history. <laughs> like, and it's not even their natural weight class for the most part. You know, yeah. the only fights that are really intriguing at all at this point are Megan Anderson and Amanda Nunes. And Amanda Nunes is it was announced today is officially set to fight Raquel Pennington at UFC two twenty four in May. So if that fight super fight is gonna happen, I don't think it's gonna happen in time for that July card, but maybe they'll do it in August or September when they're you know, lacking in some other main event possibilities. If it happens at all, true. Right off for count. That's true. <laughs> that is a good point. That's usually when one of these dominant champions loses. Is when you just immediately look past their, their next fight into bigger yeah. and better things. But yeah, yeah, I think I saw that Yana was going back down to bantamweight after this. Yeah, of course. Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> um, it just look. I'll give her this. It's brave to do what she did. Step up. But I mean, she got a paycheck and she got. An entrance into the UFC, and she gets a little bit extra exposure because she was in the main event of a UFC pay-per-view. So, I mean, yeah. it makes sense why she did it. It's just, it was not, no surprise. I mean, Cyborg's just a beast. Yeah, hopefully that wins her some favor with the UFC staff uh, stepping up like that. Yeah, I was, that's another thing I wanted to bring up was that three weeks notice, pretty much, and she made weight no problem. That was yeah. that was impressive. Not yeah. gonna lie, I was impressed by that. Uh, even if Cyborg fights Megan Anderson, I don't really. Even though she is actually a natural one forty five er and a decent prospect, I still expect Cyborg to walk right through her. Yeah, uh, I agree. And it, as much as I've hated on Cyborg, it kind of sucks for her because she's so dominant. She's so good. But she doesn't. Uh, you know, she doesn't really have that rival. She doesn't. The only thing that could be Big for her is a super fight, which who even knows who it would be against. I guess, I mean, you know, this is the next big thing. But, um, you know, there's not much out there on the horizon for her. I actually think they could make the Cyborg Amanda Nunes fight, even if Nunes lost to Pennington. Yeah. I just feel like there's a storyline there at this point because it seems like it's uh, they've been flirting with it for so long. And, I, and, and Nunes used to fight at 145. She's a big bantamweight. And... I think she has. If anyone is going to beat Cyborg, I feel like Amanda Nunes has the skill set to do so. Yeah, 
It's definitely a possibility. I would, God, I really, really want to see that fight so bad. But, yeah, there's really not a ton to talk about here uh, in the main event, which is weird. Like, it's almost like the fight that there's the least amount to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Let's get to the real, the people's main event. <laughs> Brian Ortega shocked the world, and I do mean that he shocked the world by yeah. knocking Frankie Edgar out in the first round. Uh, 15, 15 or 16 seconds left in the first round. He just obliterated him. And for a fight that only lasted one round, I got my money's worth with this fight alone. I thought this was fantastic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's pretty standard Frank Yeager, the way he came out. Uh, a lot of movement, a lot of boxing. I thought Ortega had a good jab. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Good boxing himself. I think... Uh, I think uh, Edgar fainted at a takedown or two at least once or so. I don't know. But well, that I, didn't yeah. surprise me. I think there was one point when I think he did go for a takedown, and Ortega, like, snapped him like uh, a guillotine. Yeah, he got him in yeah, a guillotine. Yeah, you're right. And man. then Frank, he was able to get out of it, and he was. that's probably when he was like, eh, maybe I'll just keep this thing standing. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to say, like, Edgar was winning this, this fight until the four-minute mark of the first round. I mean... Yeah. I don't think that's what makes this the most impressive of anything. Like first person to finish Edgar, whether it's through knockout or submission, uh, fighting a big step up in competition, even from Cub Swanson, who he just beat in his last time out. But the thing is, yeah, Frank Edgar, he's been around the block. Uh, he's 36 years old. He did not look like he had lost a step at all. Like it was vintage Frank Edgar. He was, yeah. Doing Frank Yeager things, he was just as quick. His boxing was just as crisp. His footwork, I mean, that's the crazy thing. Like Ortega beat Frank Yeager at his best and did yeah. it with style. Oh my God, that standing elbow was beautiful, uh, brutal, just beautiful. He rocked him, and literally I, right on the button. Yeah, yeah. Right. You were saying you can't attribute this loss to anything but. Just being pinpoint accuracy and uh, and even sorry, go ahead. No, a lot of fight IQ on Ortega's point. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And even you can't even say Frank Edgar's chin is gone because I think nine out of ten people that elbow alone would knock them out. Yeah, for Frankie sure. did the Frankie thing where he yeah he's on drunken legs, but he was still in it. He was still. Like intelligently, he knew in his head what to do to he had survive. To try to tie up or something. But. Yeah, but Ortega just was super smart, like you said. The fight IQ. He let him lean on him, step back, whipped an uppercut from the basement, and yeah. almost literally lifted him into the air. Yeah. To finish the fight off. I mean, incredible stuff. Like that's Francis Ngannou esque. That you like that's Yoel Romero esque. I didn't look. I always said Brian Ortega, or not always, but recently after the Cub Swanson win, he's Damian Maya with similar stand up skills to Maya, but with actually some pop on his punches. Yeah, I have to change that because holy shit, this fight did not touch the ground. And Ortega, when did he learn to strike like this? 
Right. <laughs> what the hell? You could ask a thousand people. I don't know if one of them would have said Ortega was going to knock Frankie out no, in the first round. No, I'm sure a couple of people might have predicted him to submit him, catch him in something like that. Or yeah. maybe, yeah, that was like, probably people would say that's the only way he could have won. But man, so impressed by Brian Ortega. The guy is clearly improving leaps and bounds every time out. He's undefeated, 14-0, and and the one... You know, no contest was a failed drug test, which, yeah. I mean, is kind of like a, a downside for him, but he owned it completely, and it's not, from what I understand, it was more of a, a weight-cutting thing. Uh, yeah, like was a diuretic taking, or something. Yeah, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, but look, the guy is, seems humble as could be, seems like a great guy down to earth. In the cage, he's just zen. Like, he is no panic, you know? He's so laid back. Yeah, sure. There's, like, clearly this guy smokes a lot of weed. But yeah. <laughs> I love him. He's great. Like, No, I've, I've always been a big fan of Henry Gracie and the Gracies as a whole. And he's, uh, I think, basically their biggest protege um, ever, probably. Yeah, yeah absolutely, so. man. I am... Look, I was already impressed. I thought this was a little too much too soon for him with Frank Yeager. I thought he was going to lose a decision, but not really lose much stock. But, man, I don't. he's clearly, Dana White called him, told him, you got the next title shot whenever Holloway is healthy. We're going to make it happen. That fight immediately is my most anticipated fight of the year, whenever yeah. it happens. Like, are you kidding me? How often do you get two guys in their early 20s early to mid 20s uh in their app or maybe not even at their primes like skyrocketing up towards their primes uh just elite talents in the same division meeting each other for a title fight usually it might be like uh two prospects knocking each other off on the way to a title fight i'm just so stoked for it oh it's gonna be incredible and uh hopefully hopefully we can get it to hawaii yeah, that's the thing. The rumor was that UFC was trying to make UFC 227 for Hawaii and get this title fight on there, but apparently Hawaii is pretty difficult. Like, there's a reason they haven't gone there before, and they can't come to terms on on money, and uh, yeah. hopefully they can make that happen because that would be even, like, the cherry on top of the sure. awesome Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Who would you favor in that? Ah, it's, it's it's a coin flip in my mind. Uh, fandom point of speaking, I would have to take Ortega. Um, just knocked off one of my favorite fighters. Uh, not that I dislike Max, Hol- Max Holloway at all. But, uh, you know, after seeing Ortega striking like that, it's uh, I definitely don't think Max Holloway is going to run right through him. Yeah, I really do think you're right on that coin flip. I'm, I might lean 55-45 in favor of Holloway. Just because... Yeah, I think he's, like, Ortega is clearly, I think Ortega will be that good at some point. And maybe if they fought a year or two from now, it might be a different story. But Holloway, man, he's just at his pinnacle. He just beat, dominated Jose Aldo twice. Um, yes. I mean, it's hard for me. He hasn't lost the fight since McGregor. Yeah. It's hard for me to bet against the guy at this point. His striking is just sick. I I do think 
Ortega would have a chance, though, for sure. Like, I, we haven't seen Holloway's takedown defense and submission defense as much in this run here. I could, I could definitely see Ortega submitting him at, with something. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be an intriguing part of uh, Holloway's camp, is keeping it, uh, keeping it out of that area. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I heard Ortega on the MMA Hour, one of the things he said was, like, that they practice, like they set up these snap submissions, like, like just like he did with uh, Cub Swanson, where he kind of just grabbed it out of nowhere. He's like, he's worked, like that's intentional. Like he, that's like one of his tricks that he. Yeah, does. and that's and, it's definitely a big uh, trick up the sleeve of Ortega. That's um, so dangerous. Yeah, and he's done flying triangles. He's done all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah, and Ortega's a finisher, man. He's seven and zero in the UFC, all seven by finish whether by knockout or submission. Really? And you look at the guys he's finishing. He knocked out Clay Guida, another guy who, you know, never gets finished. Yeah. So it's incredible. I just... I look forward to a featherweight. Man. Yeah. All of a sudden, <laughs> there's a youth injection in the UFC, and I'm getting excited about it. Yeah, for sure. But on the other end of the spectrum, one of our favorite fighters, Frank Yeager, takes a devastating loss here he did not have to accept this fight he, no. he had the title shot wrapped up but he, he stepped up same reason we we love him i mean he he's not afraid to fight anybody anytime anywhere uh, a lot of people say that he actually follows through uh i i all the respect in the world and i and like we said i don't think he's anywhere close to done like i just think at featherweight he's just not quite like he couldn't beat Aldo. I think he could beat Ortega if they fought ten times. I bet you it might go five each, or maybe Edgar would win more often than not. But yeah, I would have loved to have seen him fight Max Holloway. I think his future though is a bantamweight. I think I've been saying it for a while actually, but he can make the cut to one thirty-five. I think that gives him the best chance to make one more big title run before his career ends you know he's always been putting it off putting it off if there's no better time than now there's so many awesome matchups down there for I him know. could you imagine frank yeager versus cody garbrandt frank yeager I'll versus just about to say that, man. dominic Shoot. dominic cruz versus frank yeager are you kidding me like tj dillashaw like it's a gold mine and yeah. uh i think he could win that title because he'll be, yeah. for once in his life, for the first time in his career, he'd be like, have a size advantage. Yeah. You know? and then, I mean, he, he did get knocked out. This is not the first time that, I mean, Frankie was basically knocked out in both Bray Maynard bites. Yep. I mean, yep. it's, it's not like he can't come back from it. Exactly. Yeah, maybe, you know, sit down a while, work on a weight cut, come back in August, September, something like that. I mean. Yeah, I, maybe I, even longer. I can't see him quitting. The guy just—he lives for this. He loves to fight. He's. Yeah. I mean, Mark Henry talks about he trains six days a week. No matter if he's got a fight coming up or not, he just—he's just an animal. Yeah, and I do think when whenever he does retire, he's going to be one of these guys that is like one of the, the Mark Henrys of the world. I I feel like he's going to be an awesome trainer when the time comes, but I don't think yeah. that time is for another three or four years at least. Yeah. What do you think? You you co uh, co signed the bantamweight? Oh, absolutely. Because um, what really does he have left to stand at featherweight? You know, he's not. Yeah, gonna, I mean, I don't know. I guess potentially 
he could uh, stick around and, you know, hope to get another title fight. I just think at his age, he can't afford to wait and hope. He's got to make something happen. Yeah, and I don't think he's the type of, to wait and hope. Um, no, yeah. So, yeah, I would think band weight would make the most sense. We'll see what they go back to the drawing board and come up with. But Yeah. It's not the end of Frank Yeager, that's for sure. Yeah, guaranteed. The only problem I see with the bandweight thing is he's training partners with Marlon Rice and teammates, and they're uh, yeah. both be heading for like the same goal. But I don't know. I, you can't let that stop you. Yeah. At least from my uh, couch, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, another trend I've I noticed with the UFC pay per views, like the last three or four, third fight from the from the top. They always put a guy, a young prospect who they have a lot of hope for putting over in this spot. Like uh, in 221, it was Ty Tuavasa who, you know, cashed in on that with an impressive win that got yeah. some attention. I think the time before that, you had Calvin Qatar versus Shane Burgos, and that was an awesome fight with two prospects. Uh, whoever would have won would have got some attention and Calvin Katara knocked him out and here you here you have Sean O'Malley defeating Andre Suk <laughs> here it is Sukumtat Sukumtat I I learned the pronunciation last episode I was pronouncing it as if I was Mike Tyson <laughs> but uh this to me he didn't get a finish but it was almost more impressive yeah, it showed a lot of heart. And I like to say, before we even talk about the fight, I did not like the looks of this kid, his personality. Yeah. Nice yeah pre-fight. Yeah. But, man, the way he fights, uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, reminds me a bit of Conor McGregor, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Say. I've heard that from a few people, and it's totally true. And, I mean, that doesn't mean he's going to be as good as him, but just his style of fighting. Yeah. But I'm glad you said that, because I was actually going to say – you know, this kid comes from Dana White's Contender Series. He looks like he's the Ali G. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, he just looks like such a poser. Like, to me, I was like, there's no way this kid is as good as he thinks he is. Seems like a rich kid from the suburbs. Of right. That. He's yeah. putting his hair in cornrows. And <laughs> you know what? Dude is legit. He is a legit prospect. He's got mad skills, and he's tough as hell. Uh, First round, he almost finished Sukumtat. I mean, he was just doing whatever he wanted, dodging, weaving, kicks, punches, combinations. Super exciting to watch. Same goes with second round. I mean, he's just dominating him and into the third as well. And then halfway through the third round, can hardly walk. Yeah, he throws a kick, a head kick, gets blocked, and he like breaks his foot, or I actually think it was, they said it's not a break, but clearly damaged his foot in some way where he could not even stand up. Yeah. And Sukumtat probably could have won this fight if he kept it standing, but like an idiot, yeah, he, he takes he him down. down. <laughs> but you know what I, mean, I love? was screaming for him to let oh, him up. It was crazy. I mean, it was... I mean, if you would have let him up, it would have almost been like a... Uh, Forced. Cerrone Alvarez fight where he could hardly he couldn't stand up, so he, yeah, you know, could call it a TKO. But yeah, he exactly. Yeah, one of the worst fight IQ m- moments I've ever seen in my life. But the thing that impressed me so much about O'Malley, 
clearly and he could barely put any pressure on his foot. Yet he got up twice yeah. from his back during this last stretch. And at one point he even hit Sukumtot with a spinning elbow while he was hopping yeah. on one foot and almost knocked him out that way. Yeah. Like that was and insane. At one point they were against he was his back against the cage and he was just putting his foot up on the cage. Yeah. Any pressure on it. Yeah. It was I mean, so a cool. lot of hard shit by this kid. Yeah, for sure. Super cool. And then I love the decision gets announced and he's literally laying on the ground putting his arms up as he gets announced the winner. And his interview with Joe Rogan, he's like, I fucking love you, Joe Rogan. <laughs> Me and uh, Jesse were laughing our asses off for this fucking Joe Rogan, man, the master of the interview. He might as well be laying down next to him. <laughs> yeah. Just a true star-making performance. Anyone that – I don't know what the numbers are, are projected to be. Uh, I would probably guess around 200,000 if I could take yeah. a shot at it. But truly, anyone that watched this – is going to love him after this. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> it's awesome. I would definitely think he's going to be in like a co-main spot on like a big fast card or something like that. Soon. Or a, even main event, like a yeah. FS1 card, something like that for sure. Yeah. But I wouldn't rush him into like, I would still let him develop a little bit. I wouldn't jump him because Bantamweight is the freaking shark tank. I, I would maybe give him someone that's not in the top 15, but someone who's a step up. But still, someone that uh, you know gives him a chance to keep keep showing what he's got and, yeah. and continue to develop. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, <laughs> what maybe the only fight that was less interesting than the Cyborg fight? Andre <laughs> Andre Arlovsky defeated Stefan Struve by decision. Uh, and it's kind of cool. Like Arlovsky, excuse me, continues. To uh, be an enigma, because just when you think he's done, <laughs> and his chin is made of not even glass, but like the, <laughs> the glass that they use in movies that breaks <laughs> instantly, uh, he comes out and wins back-to-back -back decisions <laughs> against guys, and apparently the crazy thing here was he had more takedowns in this fight than he did in his entire UFC career combined. Really? Yeah. Holy so, shit. So, uh, I mean, whatever strategy he's working with, obviously, is what he needs to do at this point in his career to win fights. It just was not very fun to watch. It was a boring fight, and I really don't even have much to say because I don't... I put no stock in Andrea Olaski. Anything could happen. Could, yeah. Travis Brown could come in and knock him out. Yep. Um, so, I don't know. I just... Heavyweights... Uh, already tied up for a while. I don't know. It just really does not pique my interest at all. Yeah, I agree. But, um, you know, he's there. <laughs> Maybe yeah. uh, give him Ben Rothwell. If I feel like he might be coming off of his suspension sometime soon. You know, yeah. just you, you got to give him fights. He keeps winning. But yeah. Stefan Struve, such a disappointment. Yeah. It's, speaking of low fight IQ... This guy has never had it, you know. Yeah. There's no reason for him to lose this fight whatsoever. Uh, it's infuriating, but what are you going to do? All right. The first split decision we will discuss. Caitlin Vieira defeats Kat Zingano by split decision. This is one where I'm like, how the hell is this a split decision? Yeah. I, I thought, thought clear yeah. as day she won the first two rounds. 
Yeah. Um, it's disappointing to see Kelly to get dominated like that, really. It is. I mean, she's a tough chick. She's a good fighter, but she's had too many long layoffs. And Ketlin Vieira is no joke. Like, no. <laughs> she is good. I feel like she she's a younger Amanda Nunes, in my opinion, uh, without the power in her hands. But same, similar kind of fighter. She's got good jujitsu, yeah. decent wrestling, good stand up. She's well rounded and Brazilian. Uh, I like her a lot. I think she deserves the next title shot if they were going to go that route. Um, so I don't know at this point who she's going to fight. Maybe Juliana Lima in her return from pregnancy. Because clearly she's going to have to win another fight. Well, with everything being tied up at the top of the division. Yeah. It was a really impressive performance. I, uh, I, I it was. Happy. I mean, Kat Magana is a game fighter. Um, she, had a, she was working her, especially on the ground and all. Yep. But, uh... Kat Zingano, I think, <laughs> she'll be Cyborg's next opponent. Watch. <laughs> I, I would not put it past them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coming off back-to-back, or three losses in a row in a lower weight class. Three Let's years. promote this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, next up we have, down to the prelim card, Mackenzie Dern made her years. The only fight I did not see in a very disappointed. Are you serious? That's crazy. How did that happen? Uh, I was just, uh, I ran to the store with Jesse while this fight was going on. Terrible planning. Thanks. You definitely should have done that during the Orlovsky fight. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Mackenzie Dern wins her UFC debut against Ashley Yoder by, you guessed it, split decision. Uh, I could see this one being a split decision. I definitely had Dern winning on points. I thought she won the first in the third round. Lost the second when she got dropped by Yoder. The story here is Mackenzie Dern, not a finished product. We knew that already. But um, she couldn't get to the fight to the ground. So her stand-up clearly needs work. She just she has some heavy hands, actually. She seems like she stings people when she hits them with her wild haymakers. But that's what they are. They're wild haymakers. And she leaves herself open to counters. But really, her wrestling is the biggest point of concern here because you can have the best jujitsu in the world but you got to get the fight to the ground in most cases to make that happen she finally did uh, what's his face ryan uh ryan hall (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) she finally got the fight to the ground at the end of the third round and almost immediately choked her out yoder did a fairly good job of defending but you could just tell like on the feet for the most part if you didn't know the backstory behind her, and this is the first time you're seeing her, you're going to say, this is the biggest prospect they have in this weight class? Like, how the hell is that? And then the second yeah. it hits the mat, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I see it. Like, she's incredible on the ground. Plenty to work on otherwise. So hopefully they give her a slow road tour forward. Yeah, she definitely needs development. Yeah, she needs a slow track. Give her, just keep giving her girls maybe slightly a step up each time, but just... Well, how's she going to do Paige Van <laughs> Well, <laughs> she could probably beat Paige because Paige sucks, but... <laughs> yeah. All right, one of the biggest stories that I think is going under 
talk under talked about is that a phrase uh in the <laughs> mma media this week is alexander hernandez making his ufc debut and coming out like a fucking house on fire is that <laughs> or you know just like a banshee this comes out fakes a glove touch nails him with a kick to the body and his god he was like on speed man throwing bombs Catches Benil Darius square in the face with a left hand or a right hand. I can't remember which hand it was. 42 seconds into the first round, knocks him out cold. Yeah. And, and him on the ground. Finds the follow up, too. And gave, uh, gave some good promo, too. I mean, the guy, he seems like a character. This is certainly a way on a short notice UFC debut to make uh, make your presence known. If you're, yeah. <laughs> my God, beats the number 12 ranked guy in lightweight, the deepest division in the sport. Yeah. Yeah, that train, uh, it was, and it was, uh, what the hell do you call it, uh, 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 trading of punches when he just cracked him. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. He slipped Darius's punch and somehow anticipated where his head was going to go because it's not like Darius was just standing there wide open. Like, he hit yeah. a moving target flush. Yeah. Now, the problem is, I don't know if this, this kid is this good, if he's that good of a prospect. I had not heard of him before this. Uh, but if he is, man, wow. What yeah, a find. I have not heard of him either, but that was definitely impressive. Is he going to be ranked? <laughs> is he going to go from like a 5-0 prospect to ranked that fast? Right. That would be crazy. Did the rankings already come out? Uh, probably. I just haven't looked and I never do and yeah. I never will. So don't even worry about it. <laughs> no. no, obviously, I want to see what he can do with a full camp and see if this is a fluke or not. But... I was I was definitely impressed. Yeah. All right, John. Do Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, that's all. Yeah. John Dodson finally got to fight Pedro Munoz, made weight. Everyone made weight this time, and he sure. defeated him by a split decision. Yeah. Uh, I could. This one I think deserved to be split decision. It was pretty close. I thought. Yeah. Uh, I did score. It. I did score it for Dodson though. Uh, I. I did, I think. Um, I could definitely see the argument for Pedro. I thought uh, for his fast and great cardio, as Dodson has the pressure that Pedro had put on. You could see it wearing on him. Yeah, it's um, true. Yeah, uh, Dodson, I think he's losing a step. Yeah, I um, agree. First of all, he's never... He's a frustrating fighter. He reminds me of Tyron Woodley in a way where... When he is on his A game and he's putting everything together, he looks unbeatable. But then yeah. there's times where he's like, he's not throwing. He's not throwing. He's only throwing his left hand. Um, like, he's just, like, he's scared to go full throttle. And maybe, I don't know what it is. But, and also it seems like he's not quite as fast as he used to be. Maybe not quite as powerful as he used to be. Because I feel like John Dodson two years ago would have knocked out Pedro Munoz. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Still a good um, fighter, don't get me wrong. But I just, I don't know. And that was the last fight of his contract. He might be Bellator bound. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Apparently they yes. have interests. But I don't know. I like to see him stick around. They have a bantamweight division. They do. They do. It's pretty good, actually. <laughs> they have uh, Darian Caldwell. Eduardo Dantas, Joe Warren. They, they uh, don't yeah. have a bad uh, Michael McDonald. They signed. Oh, okay. 
but I think Dodson is a nice gatekeeper into the top ten or so to have yeah, around. Definitely. So, any other thoughts on that? Not really. How about CB Dalloway defeats Hector Lombard by getting punched <laughs> in the face? <laughs> this was weird. Uh, this yeah. is weird. Yeah, Lombard gets disqualified. It's insane how late after the bell these punches were. Uh, yeah. It's like... I mean, the be- before that combination happened, CB Dalloway hit him with a big body kick. and You could tell that Hector Lombard was working on returning those punches after the kick. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he hit him with another real bot, hard body kick. The bell rang. He hit him two, maybe even three times and knocked him out cold. Yeah, it was weird. It was, um, yeah, so Dalloway throws a body kick right as the bell hits. Lombard catches it, waits a beat, hits him with his right hand, and then wallops him with his left, like a clear two seconds or three yeah. seconds after the bell. Yeah. And. It was a question of, you know, is this going to be a no contest or a disqualification? They yeah. ended up giving the win to Dalloway and disqualifying Lombard. Do you think that was the right call? I do. Um, now, this is Harry here. You can, I think they said it was not intentional, but it's still a disqualification. I don't really know. Um, Clearly intentional. The bell rang and the ref said, <laughs> yeah, it's intense, yeah. But the, the bell rang and the ref said time, and the whole combo came after the ref said time. Uh, now, I, I will agree with what John McCarthy said is the referee did about 90 to 95% of what he should have done, but he did not get in between the fighters enough as he probably should have. Yeah, but, it's incumbent on the ref to get in between those guys. And I know it's scary. These are Hector Lombard is a big dude. You don't want to destroy yourself in there, but. I felt like he could have done a better job of getting in there, but that is not an excuse for what happened. I think it's completely yeah. justifiable to disqualify and him. Absolutely, especially because CB Dolly was fucking out. He lost his wits. I mean, yeah. I, even on camera, you heard him say what happened about fucking 15 times. Yeah, I, I thought maybe the stretcher was a bit much, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly. I'm not a big CB Dolly fan at all. I just wish this knockout would have happened during the round instead of after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right, quickly, Zach Atau defeated Mike Pyle by TKO punches in the first round in Pyle's last fight of his career. I did not see any of the uh, prelims. Yeah, he Pyle announced his retirement before the fight, and uh, he went out in the way Mike Pyle has been fighting lately. So there's that. I don't wish you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Cody, this was actually a, a big fight for a uh, fight pass prelim. Cody Staman yeah. defeated Brian Caraway by split decision. And um, I thought Staman won. I thought it was the right call. Caraway yeah, had been on exciting. a layoff. What's that? Was it exciting at all? I wouldn't say it was exciting. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't bad at all either. I don't know. It was... Uh, Stamen and Caraway, neither one is exactly an exciting fighter, but combined they kind of made a, a watchable fight. Uh, Caraway yeah. didn't look bad from his long, his layoff, but Stamen is a legit prospect, um, and I think he deserves to be in uh, ranked now after this win. And he he like derailed the Tom Dukemaw hype train last time out, and now he's beat a, a ranked guy in Caraway, so. Got to keep an eye on, for sure, in the deep bantamweight division. 
And Jordan Johnson defeated Adam Milstead by split decision. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was UFC 222. There is no UFC event this coming weekend, which, to be honest, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, it's been fast and furious to begin this year here, and I could use a breather. It's nice that we only have one event in the next four weeks, and that's a London card on Fight Pass, so I might not even watch it. <coughs> so I kind of need a refresher, a little breather, and then... Uh, April, April's bringing the heat, baby. We, UFC 223 is loaded. Can't wait yeah. for that card. Bought my tickets today for the Atlantic City card. Be the first awesome. ever MMA event I'll be going to. Cannot wait. So excited. Sweet. And, uh, yeah, plenty of good stuff to come. I have a feeling there's going to be some big fight announcements coming up because they're going to have to start. They're going to have to announce the main event for 225 in Chicago in June and... They're going to have to fill out the rest of that mega card in July for the 226. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, pretty cool. Uh, the only one of th other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, George St. Pierre was on the MMA Hour this week saying he is planning on coming back to fight this year, or he hopes this year, but he's he said uh, he, he intends to fight again in the UFC. Yeah. But it has to be something that makes sense for his legacy. And he kept saying, you know, Tyron Woodley doesn't really make sense for me right now. Nick or Nate Diaz, nah, doesn't really make sense. Ben Askren, nobody knows who's, who he is. Doesn't make sense. Connor, yeah, it would be a money fight, but I need something, you know, that's that's really uh, going to push me over the top and add to my legacy. Well, what does that leave if even Connor's off the table, right? So I don't know, you tell me. It's kind of confusing. But I think uh, I have a conspiracy theory here. <laughs> <laughs> I have an idea of, or a prediction. I've been pretty good with my predictions in 2018 so far. So here's another one. We know Conor McGregor is gearing up for return. Yeah. We know now that GSP does plan to fight again. And, you know, the... He, he can't fight at middleweight anymore. Gaining all the weight is what caused all his problems with the uh, colitis, all, you know. And he's got to go back down and wait. We heard Conor McGregor say he uh, offered to step in and fight Frankie Edgar for a 165-pound belt, inaugural 165-pound belt. Um, yeah. I'm putting two and two together here. <laughs> Madison Square Garden, November 2018. Inaugural, inaugural 165 pound belt. GSP versus Conor McGregor. That would be huge. Because what would they call it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> cruiserweight. Maybe cruise. No, not cruise cruiserweight. Because isn't that like I think that's a little heavier. Uh, maybe like super lightweight. Or something like that. Yeah. But uh, they would, my guess is they would, if they did that, they would move welterweight to 175. Yeah. And uh, I would definitely stir things up. The reason I think that is why would Connor mention that all of a sudden, unless it's been talked about? Second of all, I feel like when GSP is hinting at here is to build to his legacy a third belt 
would build to his legacy. You know, and he's saying, I've already owned the welterweight belt. I've already earned the middleweight belt. Yeah. I just, I feel like that's what it is. And I could be wrong. Yeah, I saw him even mention dropping the lightweight, so. Yeah. That would be a happy medium. Yeah, and Kevin Lee has talked about he wants a 165-pound weight class. Donald Cerrone has put in a request for a 165-pound weight class. Seems like there's some smoke there. Um, I know Luke Thomas is completely against adding it. And I'm not the biggest fan of the idea either, but... There's we... been a long talk about, uh, you know, bridging the gap between 170 and 185, mm-hmm. so I think that would be the best way to do it is 165 yeah. and 175. I don't hate the idea. I do think it it thins out welterweight and lightweight, but those are the deepest divisions already. So, And if it's going to create some awesome fights, and uh, they, we know the UFC is not going to pass down an opportunity for something like that, that would... I think that would be the biggest pay-per-view. In and history. it even lends itself to solving their big weight-cutting issue, which a lot of people have said is the biggest issue in mixed martial arts. It would probably help a little bit. I don't think it's a catch-all solution because I think people yeah. are still going to try to do stuff. But, but yeah, I think that could help. And I think that would be the biggest fight in UFC history if that happened. Yeah, I'd have to agree. So that's that's really the reason I'm calling for that. <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to see. Uh in the coming months with uh, what stirs up. Yeah. So, all right. This is the longest episode in history of the Red, Bo- Red Box Report or failing to communicate. And uh, I think we should wrap it up. Maybe we'll, we'll get to more some video games and TV stuff uh, next week. But uh, thanks for being here, Brooks. It was a good episode. Yeah, man. <laughs> all right. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, rate and review it there as well. Follow us on Twitter at Fallon to Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Fallon to Tweet. I'm on Twitter at Brooks Fallon. And uh, we want this podcast shaken, not stirred. <laughs> Peace.